Hello, everyone, and welcome to Late Night War Games. I'm your host, Adam, and with me, as always, the wisest of Kensai's, the Angus to my, my Pandra, John. Um, hello. That's good. I feel, like, I feel like both are bad, so I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll take no, Angus. I'll take Angus. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> but, uh, so with us also is the amazing, the wonderful, the long-haired and beautiful Michael, a.k.a. Barakel. Good evening to you both. It's wonderful to be back. Yes, welcome, welcome back. Michael. Thank you for joining us. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, gentlemen, as is tradition, what are you guys drinking tonight? Michael, you're the guest. Sure. Um, actually, a Bloody Mary, because uh, I was still hungry after dinner. That is that is an interesting after-dinner after beverage. I like, like a blood, yeah, I like a Bloody Mary. I haven't had one for dinner, or for for second dinner. Like, for, yeah. yeah, that's. I don't have nearly enough brunches to justify the traditional Bloody Mary roll, so I've one in the evening is not bad. It's, Bloody that's, Marys are not just for brunch anymore; <laughs> they're for dessert. And you have second stomach for a Bloody Mary. There you go, John. What do you got? I'm about to pour some rum into my instant coffee because I'm classy like that. You uh, just muted yourself, John. So that did not work. Or Michael might have muted you. Interesting. So while you figure that out, I will go ahead and um, talk about the beverage that I have. Actually, Michael, I think you muted John. But anyways, tonight I'm, so. I'm, I'm not muted on the stream, just in Skype, so we're good. Oh, good. Yes. So that was all extra better. Hooray. <laughs> so they all heard. I didn't. Yes. Well, John, that sounds fantastic. Tonight, <laughs> I am having a lovely uh, Two Towns Cider House Hollow Jack. Um, and I wasn't, I actually wasn't expecting this to be a cider because I don't read labels. I just saw pumpkins um, and 8.4%. And I was like, sold. I'm going to get myself another another pumpkin ale. And it's actually a delicious pumpkin cider. Let's talk about Pano. You need to be trying to talk yeah. about Pano. Speaking of fails. <laughs> <laughs> well, this guy has hostile environment. <laughs> Cheers. We'll Cheers, get Jets. <laughs> oh, yeah. Obi would like that a lot. And he's here listening, too. Obi, get yourself a uh, Two Towns Hollow Jacked. They're delicious. Anyways, so, uh, John, yeah, you want to take it away with some Bromad Academy news? Yeah, so we are currently in the month of October, which means there's a new mission, and N4 has dropped. So the mission is go play N4 and tell us about it. Specifically, find a new rule or interaction that's cool and exciting and makes you change the way you think about the game since N3. Tell us about it, write it up, and you, as always, get entered to win a blister or patch your choice. And uh, we'll roll the Wheel of Names. Spin the Wheel of Names. That's probably better. Um, at the end of the month, and uh, I'll, pick a, I'll pick a winner. Um, we are also at the end of the quarter... So there's a new quarter now. We're starting a painting contest, which is stealth. So any model that has a stealth rule is game. You can paint it, send it in, and again, uh, blister, patch, and if you come out on top, uh, our, our lovely judges select you as the best painted, uh, you get to pick what um, Chris Overmontious Makings makes at the end of the quarter. So you get a little extra Christmas gift under your tree. Um, I'm disappointed you didn't take advantage of the opportunity to spell it stealth, S-T-E-L-F. But uh, I still like the theme. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I'll change the graphic. 
Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you do need to send in a model, right? So you can't just send me a black picture and be like, I did it, right? You got to send in a, a real thing. So, um, yeah. And then later today, we'll talk about um, talk about all of last quarter's entries too, which will be fun. Very cool. A um, few other things that have happened that are interesting, uh, yeah. specifically with the book. So there's got, a rule book in people's hands. There is a rule book in people's hands, and somebody has gotten their hot little hands on it and have screen capped this for us, which is this little Easter egg, I guess. So, Katsusoshi oh, Grand Prix to launch this year, the once underground motorcycle and racing remote and motorcycle racing circuit has become one of the most fashionable and important scenes in racing circuits. So, this is in the I believe fluff book, courtesy of Pete Setchell. And uh, it's referring to the um, the uh, the rem rem, rem racing uh, game, and we also, of course, have the rem racers uh, new unit type. So, um, oh that's man, also oh please tell me we're gonna have a remote racing game. I think I think that's that one's been kicked thing. around for a long time, though. Yeah, right. it has. It it, it has, and this much, and they're making a model for it already. Come on. Yep. And all these new factions, new remotes, right? Like, we've got multiple new remotes now without models. Here's hoping. Oh. Hoping. We'll see. We'll see. Yep. So, yeah, otherwise, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of news this week from the, from the Infinity World or games that we are tangentially related or interested in. Yeah, not so much. Um, but we can, we can either launch into hobby and gaming or, or uh, talk about the Bromite Academy stuff we want to do first. Yeah, let's pick up that Bromat Academy. Let's go ahead and uh, run through the painting contest. Sure, sounds good. So thank you to everybody that, that sends in stuff. We had people uh, send in stuff immediately, like the first week after the contest launch, and then there was a huge slew of entries like right at the end. So uh, I think this is the, the largest response I've gotten so far and from all over the world. Uh, so I just want to say how appreciative I am of everybody sending stuff in. And everybody that has seen all of the entries universally commented on the quality of everything. It wasn't just like some are good, it was all are good. Um, we got, I mean, I mean, somebody, like more than one person on Reddit, like stopped by to be like, wow, all of these are amazing. Um, so for somebody That's to fantastic. take the time to do that, uh, instead of just scrolling on by with a shrug is pretty indicative of, uh, of the awesomeness. It wasn't a like, it was a full blown, like I typed the thing with my thumbs. So congratulations to everybody <laughs> who submitted. Um, How many answers did you get this time? Uh, I think on the order of like, oh, like it was over 10. I haven't counted them all. Um, but it's Very a lot. Nice. Um, yeah, so pretty, pretty rad. Uh, again, sorry to, um, to, uh, uh Mateus, because I forgot to upload your thing. Uh, I actually uploaded somebody else's thing twice, but I fixed it. And so, uh, there is his, uh, lovely Umbra there. Um, oh, that's cool. yeah, so I guess we'll talk about the, uh, the runners up first. Uh, we had a bunch of comments from all of our judges about how difficult it was to judge this time. Like the bar was, uh, very high, um, and everybody sort of got real close, if not exceeded it. So very difficult judging. Um, so I'll just I'll just run through some of the some of the topics in no particular order. Um, so uh, Nate, see. yeah, Nate's. Uh, let's see, fine. Here we go. Nate Shakti was among uh, the the comments. Uh, so some some of our judges really liked that guy. Let me flip I don't think there. you're uh, sharing the image. Yep, there's so many too many buttons to click. There we go. Um, yeah. So, That's just such a rad model, too. Yeah, it looks really good. And 
The crazy thing is, this was done, I think, in less than 24 hours. Oh, jeez. Oh, nice. So, he uh, it out. Yeah. I mean, I, I basically, I got, a, I got a text from him a couple of, like, a week and a half ago now, and he said, um, you know, when, when what, is, there, is there a contest? And I said yes, and I sent him the link to the contest. And then about four hours later, I got another text with a picture of a bear Shakti in front of, like, an iPad, right? And then uh, the next morning I woke up and there was an email in my inbox with these pictures. So, way to go, Nate. He was able to squeeze it in amongst his uh, fatherly duties. Yeah, right? Um, so, definitely super impressive on that front. Um, there's def- uh, a couple other notable ones include... Um, let me see if I can... I probably should have done this a different way. But maybe I can figure out how to do... Oh, there we go. Boom. So this this uh, Oyoroi was amazingly done as well, with a lot of yeah. excellent freehand. Or, yeah. Um, Another. I, I think those are probably some decals there too as well. And I really like the base extension. That's that's not a standard thing, right? That's that's full custom, I believe. Yeah, that's custom. So it used to be on a forty mil base. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they upped it to 55. So it sounds like it looks like they're using the, the 40 mil base with the extender style, which looks really good. Yeah, it might be a might be a classic Oyoroi. I don't know if the new one's actually been updated for 55 millimeter base, but the old one came standard with the base extension. So right. maybe so, it was just sitting in a closet for years on end. And right, that's my guess. Ready to roll. No, it looks really good. I love. Yeah. And it's really important to to pick out some color on the gun too. Otherwise, it's just like this big block. Um, so yeah, I mean the comments we got were uh, really nice uh, paint job scheme um, and uh, you know good work on the, the NMM stuff as well. Um, super clean, right? So uh, one one person was like, "Oh man, it looks straight out of like a Gundam or Eva anime," right? Yeah. So huge kudos to to Daniel there for uh, taking taking uh, such a awesome model and making it pop, right? Um, let's see what else. And then of course. Uh, Mateus and his Umbra, right? And I think I think the the main comment that we got here was just it was refreshing to see a light colored combined model. Yeah, that's very different. I like it a lot. Right, and then I just love what uh, what they've done with the cloak here, and how mm-hmm. like it's it's so uh, it like pops and it has it has like that kind of hand drawn quality to it. It's the cloak that right. textured. I haven't actually opened my Umbra. Yeah, it's, put it together. it's really very textured. Like okay. That. Yeah, but um, I mean, like, what I'm really noticing mm-hmm. is the interesting non-metal metallic work done on the armor. Yeah, yeah. The silver gold. Yeah, that's, that's really, really nice sharp. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if like you I tried said, to sell me a lavender Sith Lord, I'm not sure I would have gone for it, but uh, I think a compelling <laughs> case can be made here. I think this is a this is a nice nice paint job. Yeah, for sure. Pink um, death. Pink death. Let's see. Um, there he is. The unpronounceable. <laughs> Zelopanitas. So we've got Salad in here. Looking all, looking all robot with his with his glowing blue eyes. That's very nice. Yeah, Eric is is Salar. And I love I love his bases because they're, they're it's it's really simple. All he does is they're little globs of green stuff. But he yep. somehow makes little globs of green stuff look like some of the nicest desert bases I've ever seen. Yeah, my, my favorite one that he's done on his bases, he's, he did the, uh, the Hansa Cut Sniper 
you know, the one that's like resting your hands on the on the on the rifle like this or whatever, kind of like yeah. usually a missile launcher. Uh, he basically sculpted like a rock pile to cover up the sniper rifle, so he had an alternate like specialist Hunza cut. Or no, no, Al- oh, Al- 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 sorry, the Al- Hawa Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So he he did that, and uh, you know, I'm I'm partial to taking uh, midfield camo snipers, but you wanted another AHD profile, totally understandable. <laughs> yeah. But, One thing uh, I like about this scheme too is I can imagine how beautiful it would actually look on the table, right? Sometimes when you're painting for display level quality, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the detail gets lost from a player's eye view. But I can see this scheme being so clean that it would it would pop and look excellent on the table as well. Um, yeah, I also the like green the, the armor, the red of the base. Oh yeah, right. The colors are fairly neutral, so it, make, it really makes them pop from kind yeah. of the rich ochre of the base. Yeah, and he bothered to like. Highlight the little, I don't know, scales on his pants or whatever those are. Right. The that ribbing. Is, yeah. Jesus. I mean, it's it's a, it's hard to remember that, especially if you're in a rush, right? And and he took the time, and I think it, it just it, that little bit really sells it, and it doesn't like focus your eyes on the crotch too, which is another dangerous thing you might end up having. <laughs> right. Do that. I mean, maybe Eric wants that. I don't know. He's a designer, so who knows? <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Leif, of course. Right, Leif is in the uh, in the chat. So he painted up this Moang. I think he was like probably the first or second to submit. So this is I've been sitting on this beauty for for months now, wanting to share it. Um, so yeah, great great job. There's uh, I think this is definitely a model that will pop on the tabletop because there's all the strong contrasting highlights. And so if you yeah, look at it, just be like pow, I'm here. I've got NCO. I'm going to shoot you. You're going to hate it, right? It's a very uh, kind of a cell shaded effect. Mm-hmm. It pops very, yeah. Like I said, it pops very nicely. Like that, it hits you in the face. Yeah, there's no, there's no subtlety, and I love the little like, um, what should we call it? Uh, uh, like Starcraft Marine uh, glowy backpack bit. Like there's an engine in there, like powering mm-hmm. the Moag. So definitely pretty rad. Okay, so um, the way we're gonna do this is so we've talked about all of our runners up. Um, I'm going to announce the second and then the first place winner. Uh, and you guys are both going to get a choice of blister or patch. And then the first place also gets to choose uh, what Chris makes over Monster's Makings this month. And then I'll do a drawing from all the other folks. So three winners this month. Hooray! Or this quarter. Because, I mean, a lot of people submitted. I want to encourage that. I'm just really grateful. So I got to, you know, just throw prizes at you guys. So let's, let's talk about our, our runner up here. Let's see if I can find the thing in the list of files. There it is. So yeah, so this is uh, Dawid's, uh, aka Shingen, um, is Pano Knight here. Uh, yeah, Pano Knight Spitfire. Yep. Yeah, this is, that is really very awesome. Clean. Very clean. Uh, I and I think one of our judges was really impressed with the with the depth of the shadow that he was able to achieve. Yeah. Yeah, you can really see it on the the shin guards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like just the, the the richness of that red is really nice too. Red is hard to paint and make it look textured and not just like mm-hmm. I splooged red all over this. Congratulations, right? It, right, it actually right. has some subtlety to it. Um, oops. Yeah, like really, really well done. He's got and just uh, I think the other thing is that the the unevenness to the um, the edge highlighting 
um, I think is is a is a really additive effect here. Rather than you know being like, oh, it looks it looks kind of messy or whatever. It's very like, oh, this this knight has been, you know, he's seen some things, has bashed a few skulls in, and his armor has taken a beating as a result. So that's really 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 sells the the piece and really gives a lot of character, especially with the with the basing that we've chosen as well. Yeah. Yeah, that looks like. Is that one of those? Do uh, you think that's one of those secret weapon bases, the the pre-printed ones that are uh, kind of textured? Or is it secret you know, weapon or is know. it? A... It might be. Uh, I don't recognize the base to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. But it is. It's, nice. it's really nice. I mean, like, even even if it is a pre-printed base, like the choice that, to to pair this no, with, yeah, with it's the, a good the base, base is really good. And like just looking at the looking at the shading and the um, uh, the blending on the on the backpack here, uh, really yeah. really well done. So, um, so yeah. Congratulations to David. I'll send you an email uh, to let you know that you won. Um, and then finally, our our winner of the whole contest is uh, Troy, with his lovely Guija and his beautiful that's airbrush a, airbrush blends. Yeah, that's a classic classic look. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Very, like it's a classic look, right? So you're like, oh, we've seen this before, but it's not easy to execute, right? No. Not at all. Yeah. So I mean, it's just it's just it's just beautiful what he's done here. Uh, like every everything is 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 carefully chosen to do the right thing, right? So mm-hmm. just uh, he highlighted these edges, but not those edges, right? Just to just pick out the right way the light would catch. Uh, he even uh, did paid special attention to the parts that may be less interesting, right? Like the whatever tag thing the Guija is stomping on. Right. I think it's a squalo. Yeah. So, definitely, and then just the uh, the choice of the the gold on the hand grip of the hook sword is pretty mm-hmm. bad too. So yeah, I think um, you know this was a really tough call between the two the two top painters. I think what really um, made the decision for our judges was uh, the the freehand cleanliness on this versus the weeds. I mean, I like, guess just so subtle, right? But it's just slightly cleaner here. And that's what pushed pushed Troy over the edge. So congratulations to you both. And now we get to play Wheel of Names, which is awesome and fun. Um, so let's do that. Wheel, Wheel of Names. All right, here we go. We're going to spin gonna it. Real sound effect soon. <laughs> well, I think you did a good job. Here we go. It's spinning. <laughs> Who's going to win? What's happening? Oh, my God. Uh... Oh. Hey! It's Leslie. Leslie wins. Michael's so impressed. Hi, Leslie, right here. Congratulations. Yep. Yay! All right. Well, thank you again for everybody who submitted. Um, If we get that same number of submissions or more, uh, just like they do over at MyCast, I'll throw more prizes at you the more submissions we get. Um, Yeah, so keep them coming in. And I look forward to seeing what people paint up. Uh, Bonus points. For coolness on the internet and no other no other purpose, if uh, you you come up with a cool stealthy theme for your paint job too. So there's that. So with all of those uh, with all of those beautiful models we just saw, John, how's your hobby progress this week? Terrible. <laughs> I uh, I have I have acquired a Billy bookcase from IKEA. Oh. So that has been my hobby progress. I'm going to put my models into that from my Detolf glass case because the Detolf is too small uh, 
And so I needed more space. So I will, I made more space for models is my hobby progress. And I carried the Ikea boxes up the stairs. And I, I, that is all. I think I that kind of counts. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's more progress than I made. So we'll give yeah. it that. Uh, yeah. I am. I'm anxiously awaiting uh, my Starmada mm-hmm. and the apparently FedEx has been sitting on the package for our local game store mm. since last Thursday, mm. uh, just just down the street, and not giving it to him, uh, which also contains the last of my Bakunin. So, that sounds my, like a new game has been stalled. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's our excuses, Michael. Huh? Anything from you? Yeah, as a matter of fact. Um... Got uh, been getting some paint on some miniatures. Probably the most interesting project has been uh, building up uh, the front of Vic SWC box, as well as taking the Spetsnaz Sniper, great miniature, not my favorite profile, <laughs> and giving him uh, one of the new AP rifles. You know, one, oh. of, the, one of the excellent new AP rifles, oh. so that you can get that uh, that that parachutist profile on the table. Uh, Coming coming soon to a backline near you, but yeah, Tag right. was a oh, I'm super jazzed yeah. about that. Tag was a project that started up maybe three or four months before uh, before COVID and shelter in place. And I got in two or three ITSs with them and loved how they played, uh, but obviously that got that's been shelved for eight months. And I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to getting getting back in the mix with uh, with a little Tartary Army Army Corps. Yeah, them upgrading the rifle profile to an AP rifle out of the blue is just kind of like, well, yes. Yeah. Big deal, too. Really big deal. Uh, MA2 being the magic number now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus D charges no mm-hmm. longer have the minus three penalty. So oh, all, you know, really ugly. Yeah, all, all powers combined, you can slap somebody pretty hard in the back of the head with a D charge. So, yeah, yeah so, some possibility there, but it's one example of those profiles that get a little lift. That's it'll, brutal. It'll, yeah, it'll be, it'll be nice to see uh, a Spetsnaz that isn't an HMG. 100%. Yeah. 100% on the table. I agree. Uh, speaking of decharges, I, I thoroughly enjoy the Voltroning together of all the things you need to make a CC23 Lunacod with decharges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right with that Rem Razor? Yeah, totally is. That's been really fun. Jeez. So oh, um, let's see. I don't think I haven't got any games in, John. I believe you're in the same boat. I am. But uh, Michael's played a couple games recently, if I remember. Yeah, uh, it's been a tabletop simulator over in this household. Uh, some 3.5 games, of course, leading in. You know, piecing mm-hmm. rules together as we built up to launch, and then uh, a handful of N4 games as well. So you know. So far, so good. Big adjustments. How many times did I forget what the heck crits do now? You know, additional <laughs> save instead of auto wound. Um, but you know, enough to be able to get the experience under my belt and and start to form an opinion about the new edition. So it's it's been good. It's been really good. It take me. I was slow launching into tabletop simulator, but uh, now I'm hitting it full force. And it's a fun little system. Any uh, any particular match you want to call out? Hmm. Elliot Kahn, who you know, uh, Infinity player uh, and close buddy of mine from a bygone age, uh, hasn't been too active for a good while, probably a couple of years now, but knew there was a new addition on the way and uh, was willing to help me out in some of those 3.5 games. And so his uh, 
Tunguska on the table, and I, I've been running some Varuna against him and some Tack against him as well. And man, it's it's hard to contain uh, hard to contain those Hollowmen when they get momentum, especially 15 yeah. orders and not a lot of ablative pieces. Every casualty hurts. If if that link gets underway with momentum, uh, you know the best you can do is stand aside. So interesting that's, to see. That's awesome that you've uh, you've got him playing again. He lives not too far from me. Um, I've been, you know, well, everything in life is busy, but yeah, I definitely am wanting to uh, to get a game in with him sometimes. So that's great that he's he's rolling the dice again. Bug him about it because it's it's on his radar, and he's you know probably three or four games back in. So you know, rusty, but you can knock those cobwebs off and uh, push him push him over the uh, push him over the ledge the way he pushed me over the ledge in Doom Infinity. There you go, there you go, just reel <laughs> back in. Favor. There's a little bit of wildness in your eyes there, Adam. <laughs> Come on back. <laughs> well, great. Um, yeah, so with that, why don't we talk about really what we're here to talk about, which is the horrible mistake that is Panasiana. Or are they? Right? Uh, look at that. I reeled it back. Not a total <laughs> mistake, but everyone knows how I really feel. So let's, uh, let's kick it off with maybe... Um, do you want to talk about maybe some of the general N4 rules that are really exciting you from the perspective of a Pan-Oceana player? Definitely. Um, definitely. I think a lot of people are looking at factions right now and wondering, you know, have they gained? Have they lost? I think Pano is certainly, you know, diplomatic answer gained in a lot of ways and lost some in others. Um, you know, they've gained in the sense that Tags are a big deal. Heavy infantry is a big deal. They're really well optimized right now, and Pan Oceania runs both really well. Um, right, it's the faction with the most tags. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, being the tag faction was always kind of a vanity title for years and years and years. Um, you know, it, it had some relevance back in N2, but for N3, being the tag faction didn't mean a ton because you know you, you had to figure out the best way to run a tag and you had to do it well. Otherwise, it wasn't really a net gain, but now it really means something. I mean, Pano's tags are incredible, and Pano is really good at supporting them. So well, that's they're a, and they're, yeah. they're varied, right? Yes. Like, you know, you've got, like, the Squalo, which is, like, the, quote, generic battle tag, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's I mean, incredible. it's generic, but it is damn good. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, even, even there with the, you know, the generic main battle tag, they still found a, found a way to throw some interesting ECM on there. It's one of the few ECMs that actually works against hacking, Yep. Plus you get, you know, Zapper, which is great, or Heavy Grenade Launcher, which is great. I mean, these are really meaningful, really meaningful options. So right, there's, there's meat in there. The Hacker ECM is actually an interesting counter to help with Pano's uh, willpower. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of an interesting kind of counterplay there. And then, of course, you've got the Cutter, which is still what it is, only cheaper. It comes in under 100 now. Yeah. Yes, 97, if I remember correctly. Like, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when the fir- the first person who pointed out to me that the Avatar is cheaper, my thought wasn't like, sweet, I can run the Avatar. It was, that probably means the cutter is cheaper, and I'm not happy about this at all. <laughs> you know, I, I started up in a phase of the game where, you know, it's uh, Achilles, the cutter, these, these were all units that were staples of play, and that was coming from an era where the HMG was the ubiquitous best weapon. Because right. it was, you know, it was, it was zero out to eight and then good from eight to 32. And I'm not necessarily saying we're going to see a return to that, but, you know, you're going to see a lot more cutters on the table in N4 than you ever did in N3. 
Just tags uh, yeah, in general. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely, for sure. And one of the things that I, I, I noticed that they didn't do for the cutter that I expected them to do, um, they give them all the TO rules. It's not just yeah. like it's, it's ODD with hidden deployment. Like, no, no, no. It still has the full-blown camouflage state. Yeah. It still has surprise attack and negative three. Like, don't worry. They didn't make right. it weaker. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the marker state is really important for it, though, because I don't think stealth made it onto the final the final cut. Uh-oh. So so you Good. can't quite just cheaply sneak past all those repeaters. you got to spend that full order to, to re-camo and everything that that entails. So, yes, you're right, and there's a tiny, tiny caveat in there which is probably going to result in at least one to two more orders spent per turn than if the cutter was just rocking around with stealth. Mm-hmm. Right. But, no, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, yeah. and that's it's, it's nice to see that come back. I mean, it's an iconic tag, right? It's one of Infinity's most iconic tags, so I'm happy to see For it back. Sure. The new sculpt is, oh, beautiful. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man, like, what else? So it's like, I think they I think we only launched with five tags to begin with, so we have the Drago and the Oolong that we're still waiting on. Um but like teak blangs are still in there, and they're still Super no worse dumb. than they were. And they get a budget sixty-eight points. Yeah. Um, it's gonna if be. You want to, uh, yeah, if you want to see how far the meta is involved too, I mean, just overnight, you go from having the shock army teak belong, you know, which is excellent, of course, with anti-personnel mines, whereas the mo teak belong, you know, was, was good, fine, AP. Uh, and then, and four drops, and suddenly nobody's looking at the Shock Army Teak Belong anymore. We're hoping that that AP makes it into Shock Army of Akintesimena once it drops, because AP is AP is the hotness, and suddenly yeah. uh, an unbuffed HMG feels kind of pillow-fisted for some of these matches you might run into. Right, yeah, I'm definitely not regretting having converted my um, military order Teak Belong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was decent before, and it's amazing now that that ap pays dividends right it's a yeah. great insurance policy yeah and we've, we've seen it arrive in spades like it seems like every new profile has some ap thing attached to it well and that's good because it's going to help it's going to help deal with the issue of um of crits mm-hmm. right and then geez oh yeah and then of course we can't forget the yodum <laughs> right it's it's still armor 10 yeah, you know, for mm-hmm. a second it was armor nine on army builder, and I was kind of relieved because I was like, oh well, that's what they're gonna deal with the crits not being a thing. It's like, no, it's armor thirteen and cover now. It literally gives no shits about being hit by damage thirteen anymore, ever. Yeah, and it costs about as much now as the teak belong cost last edition. Oh my god, <laughs> teak belong is made affordable. I think it's it's eighty seven points off it's the top. Eighty seven and one and a half swick. Ten armor, nine BTS. Yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. Kicking around fifteen order list ideas with the Yodum, and the Yodum doesn't even feel like the most dangerous thing in some smaller Heimer lists I've I've come up with. Um, It's I definitely nasty. Yeah, I've definitely seen the Yodum um, as a in the past. I've seen it in games as a very effective distraction carnifex. Sure, like to use the old forty k term where it's you know people freak out because it's a Yodum. Right. If if you don't have an answer for a Yodum, like you need to be really careful with how your gameplay proceeds from there, right? And a lot of people, you know, I, I've had similar results. Like when I run the Avatar, a lot of people get really hung up on I have to kill that thing, and it's like yes, please continue firing at that all day long. Like we will we will see how that works out for you. Your damage fifteen, you know, against my armor thirteen. 
You know, even having played a long time, the last game I had against a Yodum, I think I was playing JSA, and it was against a brand-new player who bought a Yodum, thinking this is going to be awesome, and put it on the table, and I thought, well, okay, you know, we'll lose this as a teaching opportunity. Let's put the monofilament into the Yodum. Mm-hmm. The monofilament bounced off, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I lost what I, whoever the monofilament bearer was in return, and then did nothing to the Odomal game. It walked into my deployment zone, flamethrowing left and right. My opponent was like, this game is great. I'm totally, I'm going to buy all the Infinity models. I'm having so much fun. and I'm, just, I'm really good at Infinity. Right, all right. It's, well, well, hey, I mean, yeah. uh, that's good, right? you got another Infinity player, so that's, that's so always worth get, it. Get them hooked. Get them right, hooked. this is all great, though, because it means that the, it means that the tag faction... Can yeah. can run a variety like you can pick any one of these and throw them on the table now. Whatever your flavor of of sectorial faction, tactical emphasis, etc. You know, there's there's a tag to match. Not every faction, not even close to every faction, comes close to that degree of tactical versatility. So, like I said, it, it means something for Pano now to be the tag faction. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. of course, their heavy infantry don't let up either. Good good heavy infantry. Yeah, right. Like they're they're heavily armored. You know, they're they're kind of the way we describe the new players now, right? Like we always describe Pano as the army with tags, heavy infantry, and big guns. Mm-hmm. Like they've got big soppy robots, big soppy mans, and lots of bullets to fire at you. Um, and I kind of feel like they've done a good job, really kind of emphasizing that strength to the faction. So yeah, I think in. And for, yeah, any outlines, just to think of any other fun specific rules, um, like this change to smoke is, yep. is a very, or actually not even the change to smoke, it's the change to MSV1. That in yeah, itself yeah. seems like a pretty, That's pretty huge. huge deal for a pano. And, you know, if, if we want to get into, you know, get a little bit more meta too, I mean, tactical window has huge implications because you're probably going to see, you know, the, the, the mandatory three to four smoke tossing impetuous guys are not going to be making into lists. With nearly the same regularity, and so that guy with a chain rifle and close combat and smoke, which are all sort of really carefully, you know, conceived and devised at exploiting pano weaknesses, um, are going to be a much more rare sight, a a less common sight, um, which plays in pano's favor to to a large degree. Right, probably especially once even we get or once we even get those uh, Bagmari added back. Oh yeah, Um, that'll be really nice. I guess in the meantime, you've got the Carhu. And the knock-in, which both have, oh, the knock-in's only on the one profile, um, but it's on a boarding shotgun, which is fine enough through smoke. Yeah, their their dire foe is widely available. Well, the the latest dire foe is widely available too, and he comes standard with MSV1 also. And shock marksman oh, rifle yeah. is obviously, uh, yep. you know, is widely linkable, and the shock marksman rifle can knock over warbands or threaten a lot of the stuff that likes to utilize smoke. So uh, Pano definitely benefits from the MSV1 change. No, yeah, because no it's interesting because it's it's a it's a smoke change, but it's not. You know, Pano obviously doesn't use smoke, so it's really just the the meta shift and how smoke is going to change the meta and how effective warbands are going to be changing in general. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, war, warbands have unquestionably changed, right? And I think from the the limited data that I have, just talking to other people about their games and or playing games myself, I feel like we're going to sit in this realm of one to two. Warbands a list, maybe, and you have to be very yeah. careful and guarded with them. Like, you can't just throw them away willy nilly. Um, so, I guess the question is do you guys think that this is an overcorrection? Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of reservations about a number of overcorrections in the game, and I think that this certainly qualifies. Um, I think that we've seen 
Yeah, I think there are a number of overcorrections, and I kind of feel like this one applies as well. But I am happy to see MSV1 become a little bit more relevant, and I am happy to see uh, impetuous smoke tossers get policed a bit. But with TAC window in the mix, it, it occurs to me as an overcorrection. Mm. See, I, I go back and forth on it, right? Because there's there's the part of me that, that just looks at the raw rule mechanics, and it's like the, the entire mechanic that Warbands lived within has, has shifted greatly, right? And you definitely, you know, before where you might make a list that could have six or eight Warbands in it, no problem, and you don't even care, right? Like, that's 40 points, you know, <laughs> let it go. Um, but then then I think about, in a way, the, the story that you're telling when you're playing a game, like the, the movie that is taking place, um, and I see Warbands now less of like, okay, so the SWAT team brought in a bunch of raving lunatics with them, right? Instead, <laughs> there's 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 like the one madman with a hammer who they're holding back the whole time, and then they just let him go, and he just bolts down the halls, and you know, <laughs> goes it down. Yeah. Like that's that's kind of what I imagine Warbands living in now is that they're they are now a a tactical asset in a strategic operation as opposed to just unleash the clowns and we'll mop up the mess. Yeah, I mean, smoke remains really useful. And one nice thing about Tac Window 2 is that uh, a trooper who effectively brings two orders instead of one, if we look at Impetuous being one, and Impetuous has virtually zero downside now. So mm-hmm. if we think about Impetuous being one as a free order for smoke dispensing and movement, and then their own uh, irregular order, presumably if they're irregular, uh, that's not bad order efficiency because obviously a regular is not a penalty as long as you're playing to spend the order on that guy anyway right so right. uh it, it it works but players are going to have to be really really careful about how much a regular they bring and so i think the point you guys made about one to two irregular impetuous guys to- totally holds true based on my play experience what yeah. i'm kind of hoping that this leads to is a situation where people start evaluating non-warband sources of smoke Mm, I've been using the Dynamo in my tack lists. Me too. Right? And Kuroshi Rider has smoke now. Kuroshi Rider. Yeah. Huge. Uh, I think we're going to see a yeah, I think we're going to see a big bike return right now yeah. because I think, you know, we've we're we're in a position where uh the slightly higher point cost doesn't matter much. Impetuous has no there's no danger in using Impetuous. Mm-hmm. And if they can dispense their own smoke and do so with the smoke launcher range bands, as a, opposed to thrown smoke, it gives you a little bit more board coverage. Right, um, right. The ability it, to project smoke further. And it pairs well I with their movement because the, they're not outrunning their uh, smoke. Right. I definitely want to see the the more tactical use of smoke, but like again, thinking about this movie, you know, this movie playing out in my head every time I play a game of Infinity, like. It is a, you know, the dude in this, there's like a specialized guy in the squad who brought the smoke grenades. He throws it down the corner and everyone advances. Instead of just, again, the raving lunatics running around throwing smoke everywhere for some reason. Um, you know, like, yeah. there's, there's, there's some good examples of that, even with like, um, like the Ghulam, right? There's a Ghulam profile with a smoke like grenade launcher that, like, that's a little bit more desirable now that you're not necessarily going to have four months to provide smoke for you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's smart. And you're going to start looking at troopers that, uh, you know, bikes obviously are at an advantage because Impetuous allows them to make a smoke uh, dispensing attempt for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antipode Handler, for example, now has tactical awareness to simulate the irregular, the yeah, former irregular really cool. order. Oh, yeah, and so, 
So now she's actually a really brilliant smoke dispenser if you want her to be. She can use the TAC awareness order just to get smoke down if you weren't planning on using the antipodes for anything. And so she becomes a really, really nice order efficient choice for that. And this is all tempered by the fact that smoke, no lo smoke uh, launchers no longer have a plus three band. So you may have to try a couple yeah. of times to get it right. But I still think it's a really, really nice way to put smoke in the game, keep it relevant, uh, adding it to higher cost models who can use that impetuous order. Right. No, that's uh, yeah. that's pretty smart. Yeah. I mean, just, um, just that, just like not to distract from the Pano flavor of the thing, but yeah. it's, I think it's important to mention that uh, the way that the antipode assault packs work now, it works like uh, the new peripheral control rules are different, right? So it's no longer this separate unit that runs around by itself as an, uh, contributes in a regular order to the pool. It's uh, it's a peripheral attached to the assault pack handler, so you can now activate everything with one order, which is yeah. pretty huge. So you can be you can move your antipode blob six inches, shoot smoke for them, and then move move again on your next order, which is pretty giant deal because ordinarily like you would never use the, the the assault handler she would just be on behind a crate or literally she in a crate yeah but yeah exactly right I, I mean i've seen some people you know last turn hail and mary like a smoke grenade across the field to cover an objective and that was like all i usually saw out of her but now i think we'll actually see some use out of the the smoke grenade launcher and and that's happened in a lot of things right so as you were just talking about so pretty cool just to stuff. talk a little bit about you know Pano and TAC window, I think that, you know, TAC window benefits them in a lot of ways because it changes the landscape of the game around Pano in terms of the number of threats that they will see. You know, a lot of people are going to be forced to play a more elite shooting based game. And obviously Pano shoots really well. I think the, the challenge for Pano and attack window environment is that they're losing a lot of the extra ablative orders they use for defense. Yeah. Pano is not great in defense, right? They're relying a lot on, you know, that big linked gun overwatching things um, and not necessarily a lot else. Maybe you get some helots, you get a war core, depending on the flavor of it. But once the casualties start piling up in Pano, it detracts from their order pools and means that Pano has to, you know, Pano in general has to walk further than almost any other faction when it comes to getting objectives. You know, the midfield game is not great. Not a lot of camo infiltrators or cheap bikes or impetuous specialists or whatever. So the casualties impacts Pano's ability to go into the midfield, get to those objectives, and pass their whip rolls. So it's, yeah, it's yeah, a double-edged sword. They definitely pay uh, pay top dollar for mobility, right? All, like, like you were saying, all of their infiltrating and forward deployment troops they're not on cheap profiles, you know. They don't have a, they don't have the equivalent of a zero, right? Like a seventeen yeah. point cheap Ford Observer. Twenty, I mean, 20 points now. But... Oh, okay. Um, you know, yeah, they've got Crocman, which are amazing, but not you're, cheap. You're paying. Right. Mm -hmm. Not cheap. Yeah, <clears> yeah even the Ford Observer is almost. Yeah, I mean the Ford Observer profile is almost twice the cost of um, two Foxtrot. Ford observers, you know, yeah. just to give you a sense of specialist coverage. And you're, you know, you're getting a guy with rifle and mines in a marker state. You know, yes, there are advantages to the to the croc man, but um, yeah, at the end of know, the day, you're trying to push buttons yeah. to win the game. So right, yeah. If you have right. two guys doing that, better than one. Yeah, and I, I think one of the, one of the interesting things that we've been talking about is how Pano has to sort of leave stuff out to shoot, right? And I think that's where warbands. Uh, will find their niche in N4. Because 
at least up here in the Pacific Northwest, we tend to play a very null deployment heavy game where we'll, I mean, maybe, maybe it's driven by um, the, the way we run our tournaments up here or something, but basically, you know, like, like, like take my nomads, for example, I'll put down two Morans, a bunch of repeater coverage, some mines, mine layers, and, and, or even out of like my JSA, I won't leave anything out to ARO really, because I tend to play, I tended to play like low order lists anyway, like 12 to 15, sometimes even 10. And so just like we've been saying, any loss in orders is acutely felt. Um, Mm-hmm. But if I don't leave stuff out, and even a single warband sneaks through, it's still a giant mess for me to clean up, right? So you have to leave stuff out. And I think oh, the last game that I played against Adam, like the first game of N4 we did, uh, you took two Taigas mainly for, for two primary reasons. One was to clear Koalas, because you knew I was going to bring yeah. Morans. And the second was to force me to leave things out to ARO. And I, I had to. My, my whole game plan hinged on having a Vertigo Zond out to shoot missiles at you uh, from 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 uh, total cover, but I was forced to leave it out for you to shoot at and possibly remove a yeah. linchpin to my plan because you had a taiga on the table. So yeah, I think, I mean, I think yeah, that's if, their... If you didn't stop that taiga, it was, would have gone and deleted that missile launcher, no problem. Yep, exactly. One thing I, I envy in those kinds of aggressive choices is that an impetuous troop who's a regular and can run up the table and serve in that offensive capacity has a very, very useful role because even if it's not contributing a regular order... It ha- brings its own inbuilt order efficiency because you're able to build above 15 order limit. You know, Pano doesn't have a lot of ways to do that. And it's actually one reason why I think that the helot will become a thing of the past and anything that's not a cutter list. Because all the helot does is stand out there to die and it contributes no inbuilt order efficiency. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the use of its irregular order doesn't really have any active turn application. You can yeah. like discover with it. But uh, if you do so, of course, you're you're giving up other bonuses, you know, marker state, et cetera. And so I think that you know, we're seeing some unit designs start to fray a little bit under attack window, um, and it's it's going to shift so, the meta. So here's the question: What do you think about the idea that attack window doesn't make um, it makes less than 15 orders more powerful? Um. So, for instance, like previously, if you ran tactical window, um, if you sorry, if you weren't running a tactical window list, right? Like if you were playing twelve orders, you might be outnumbered by six, seven orders. Sure. But now, if you play a twelve order list, you're you are only ever outclassed by three orders. Yeah, I, I think so. I think you'd probably still have to make a pretty compelling case for running anything less than fifteen because so many things went down in cost. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, but, but yeah, you know, I, I think the case exists certainly. And, you know, like when I built cutter lists, for example, the cutter lists have, um, you know, maybe 11 to 12 regular orders, and then you fill the rest up with defensive ablative, regular, you know, your war core, your tech yeah, B and sure. your helots and things like that. Um, and so I think, yeah, depending on the list, it, it can make complete sense, especially if you can access Troops with uh, attack awareness, you know, tags, obviously. Mm-hmm. The avatar is probably the foremost example because, um, you know, the avatar brings four orders by itself. Um, you can easily run 10 bodies in an avatar list and have 13 orders to spend, and that's huge. Yeah, there's, there's, I think there's, there's some room for thinking there because, you know, like you were mentioning, where Pano is so reliant on this, these ablative ARO pieces. Um, I'm kind of wondering now if maybe instead of 
only have you know only be able to afford these ablative arrow pieces maybe if you start thinking about uh 12 13 order lists with a tr bot and a workhor right like that'll shut down workhors just fine still um yeah, I mean, I think in the context of Pano, I think Pano players probably still want to build for 15 in a lot of cases, specifically because, you know, sort of that aforementioned factor of having to walk further than most other factions in order to get the button push in. And here, you know, it makes sense to start talking about specific flavors of Pano. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, di different Pano armies are going to have slightly different capabilities when it comes to their ability to contest the midfield and get to those, get to those yeah. buttons. Yeah, why don't, we, uh, why don't we talk about maybe Varuna first, right? You've had a lot of recent cool. experience with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, 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 won't get, I won't get too salty about it because I think that Varuna has uh, a strong game that can be played in N4. But Varuna probably felt the nerf bat the hardest as far as okay. uh, a, a lot of the active changes that have come about. Um, you know, obviously they were given sensor, really big deal. Uh, sensor was was changed, and I think I put sensor up there as an example of maybe the over nerf um, mm. because you know obviously isolation has changed a lot. There are ways to clear isolation. There are ways to get out of isolation. Isolation has become a very very prominent and prevalent uh, hacking program that's going to be used. Yeah, uh, the hacking game is stronger than it's ever been, but uh, uh, you know Jammer took the big hit now being disposable. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it, it's probably lost most of its role, most of its application. Uh, so that's significant. Uh, the dreaded Kamau multi-sniper uh, lost stun. That's huge because yep. you no longer have the ability to contain a tag. If you hit the tag or crit the tag with DA, it's going to roll its saves and then try again right at you. So it doesn't necessarily have the turn-ending finality that it did. Um, and then sure. we talked a little bit about helots too, being not really having an active turn roll, so it's harder to justify their opportunity cost in a list. Um, Do you think people are going to have to maybe approach Verna lists a little bit differently? I mean, a little bit differently than before. Um, I feel like a lot of Verna lists tend to be very um, defensive and reactive, as opposed to focusing on the offense. You're right, and I think that you know the sniper tower is a, a prime example of that. Um, simultaneously, like you know, the uh, the Kamau actually have some pretty powerful active turn profiles, but I feel like they're very often pigeonholed down to the uh, <clears throat> down to the level of sniper bearer. Yeah, and you know, just to speak about some of the good things that are coming from this change, um, you know, uh, Varuna Division orcs were always cool, but they were wildly overshadowed by. Kamau, because why pay twice the cost for BS-14 when you can get BS-13 mimetism for half the cost? I mean, that's really significant. Right. But now, of course, heavy infantry getting their big buff, stealth being an incredibly useful rule on heavy infantry, plus that Fuhrbach is sort of the new hotness as far as being uh, an in a good insurance armor-cracking weapon. I think that the the Verna Division Orc Fuhrbach is going to be a very common list. Uh, I think that Patsy Garnett was reinvigorated because her dragging around Orcs or Kamau has a really, really positive place in the game. Um, obviously, Cutters, new life breathed into them, so that's very, very strong. Um, and I think what we're going to see now is less Max AVA Zulu Cobras 
and greater utilization of crockmen, you know, because they bring uh, hidden deployment. Mines are great. If you're not investing in the full Varuna defense, a mine is a good cash-all defense unit. Um, and then the Echo Bravo benefited tremendously as well from uh, wild parrots. I mean, basically becoming EM2 now because of the EM yes. changes. You know, a single wild parrot mm. is not only placed easier, it doesn't follow that eight-inch route anymore. Now it gets placed in zone of control, which means you can, you know, place it on the other side of buildings or up on rooftops to hit guys hiding or off of a rooftop if you are on a rooftop. Mm-hmm. And that's a major yeah, increase in function. Yep. Got got serious. Yeah. I think airborne yeah. deployment in general became a, a much more interesting option. You know, even for even for armies that didn't have maybe good airborne deployment before, but like parachutists is totally fine. Um, well, parachute, well, the huge thing now is you don't have to choose which side, right? And that alone changes everything. Yeah, it's basically a name change, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Know, but air, I mean, like, airborne infiltration, I think. Yeah. Um, but, you know, being able to, like you said, being able to come on that board and basically put a wild parrot anywhere within a foot of either table... Uh, either table edge in one order. Yeah, you know, it's also a good opportunity, too, to highlight how useful the shotgun change is for Pan-Oceania. You know, you lose a little bit on the ability to, you know, snipe those cheeky shots and splash a template through an unconscious remote and take out four guys hiding around a corner. Mm -hmm. But um, Pano benefits tremendously from increased access to direct template weapons, which is something that previously they have very little of. That's a, that's actually a pretty subtle, but I think big difference for Pano in general. Yep. Um, you know, other than Oxbots, right? Like their template coverage was pretty pretty right. miserable. Right. It, exactly. You know, typically it was you know fl- flamethrowers on a handful of really expensive units, but you rarely you know you never had that guy with the chain rifle. Um, yeah. The troops were few and far between, but Pano does have a lot of shotgun units, and so now. Every shotgun unit is a potential defense and area denial piece. Right. And while Pano's troops aren't really cheap enough to trade with a shotgun, it does mean that you can force a trade if an enemy comes to get you. Yeah, well, and, and, that makes... and they have two wound models with shotguns. Yeah, yeah and high exactly. Arm. Multi-wound models with shotguns are a huge deal. That's one of the, when we get to military orders. Like that's I'm going to be talking about my favorite hospitaler. You know, oh, yeah. uh, but. Even just thinking about the Pano profiles, they actually have a fair amount, if I remember correctly, of uh, combi rifles with light shotguns. Yep. yep. Um, and that makes those profiles, you know, like the 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 bolts or that Echo Bravo, the Echo Bravo paramedic. Because now you yeah. really have it's it's a bigger toolkit than it even was before. Yeah, it was a joke running for a long time that it was sort of the ubiquitous Pano tax paying for that combi rifle and that light shotgun. Yeah. Um, but now they represent two very, very different tools, right? You know, it's the same as a combi rifle and, and you know, a chain colt, but better. Uh, and now you have uh, a, a real tactical option that's brought by models that have both a combi rifle and a shotgun. And so that's pretty standard on a lot of Pano, slightly more elite units. You know, Bogmarie, for example, when Shock Army comes back, Bolts, yeah. you know, a lot of medium infantry, NIS, you know, it's kind of a standard a combination for a lot of those guys. Yeah. Well, so the Bagmari, they're all in a position of benefit. The Bagmari are going to be really huge with it um, because they have that MSV1 to see through the smoke. So if somebody lays down a smoke screen for themselves, you just walk up and you know, hit them with uh, burst two shotguns through it. Totally. 
Yeah, so this is the totally. complete list of things with light shotguns. Echo Bravos, uh, Knockin, Bolts, Nice, Vargars, Magisters, Swiss Guard, and I guess Lian Kai and Vanilla. So it's a, lot of, it's a lot of things that now have baby chain rifles. Yeah, no, 100%. Thinking, uh, thinking a little bit about Varuna as well, you know, they have troops that can benefit from their shotgun changes. Um, I think they're also the only sectorial that's really well positioned to take advantage of hacking. Um, mm. Hanno is not great at hacking. They never will be. They have hacking tech, and they have some good repeater options, but they'll never have the willpower or the BTS to contend heavily, and their hackers just don't get you know the specialty bonuses to programs that you know uh, the powerhouse hacking factions do. Mm-hmm. But Varuna does okay because both... Uh, a Fusilier hacker is only 15 points, so it's yeah, hard to get that point cost. Um, and it's coupled with the fact that Croc Ford Observer uh, and Fusilier Ford Observer have deployable repeaters mm-hmm. as standard, and Fugazi are a very, very, you know, the, the cheap 6.6 repeater rem is a common sight in Pano lists. Mm-hmm. And they have two hackers that start off the table in the form of both the Echo Bravo and the Croc Hacker. So if you can't out-hack the other guy, at least you can keep your hacker invincible until, until you want to make the right move. Yep. Um, and the hacker, the Echo Bravo hacker, comes with the Panzerfaust. Doesn't hurt. <laughs> doesn't hurt. Yeah. You're, you're targeted. Next move. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, so, you know, th- those tools are there, and that's always been an underappreciated but really lovely aspect of Varuna is just how almost modular the snake eaters are. They're also similar in cost and sort of that, you know, high 20s to low 30s point range that you can change the entire feel and application of a list by subbing two or three models. Mm. And so that's been what a lot of my playtesting for Varuna's looked like is, you know, let's have two crocs. Okay, let's drop a croc and add an Echo Bravo. Let's drop the Echo Bravo. Let's get the Zulu Cobra back in there to see if Jammer's still worthwhile. You know, a lot of that modularity... Um, really really helps with sort of quick uh theory crafting mm-hmm. quick list building mm-hmm. and it's nice in a tournament setting too because you can have your two lists for its sure. achieve wildly different things but may only have a few models that are different and that helps with brain drain helps with fatigue helps you to be able to to feel the flow of your list and not have to stress yourself too much when it's round five at the end of a long weekend and you're drunk and you're trying to figure out what your army does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, all right, well, I know what they do. I've been playing the same thing this whole time and now I need this one specialist to do this one mission objective. So I'll play that one. Seems quite exactly. Um, exactly. I guess while, while we're on the subject of like swapping things in and out, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen a Varuna list on the table with a peacemaker in it. Uh, Peacemaker is my favorite N4 unit. I would have to seriously question the validity of any Panoceania list for any faction, any sectorial that does not start with at least one Peacemaker, Whoa. if not two, if there they can go. take them. You heard it here um, first, folks. I mean, I'm, I'm in total agreement, but I, I just, you know, I, I was going to ask you for your opinion, and we haven't. So Peacemaker is yeah, uh, good, is what we've learned. Right, so... You like yeah. the shotgun or the Spitfire? I, you know, uh, I think you can make a case for both. I like the shotgun because it's cheap, and I particularly like the shotgun because basically you can have a three-tiered area denial unit in a in a single profile, right? Because you you know you position the ox spot up 
the enemy has to deal with it. You position the shotgun behind, the enemy has to deal with it. You know, if you use terrain well, you're forcing the enemy to walk into a template. Plus, you're starting with that repeater up the table. Uh, and with the way that firewall works now, you're giving yourself a really nice hacking bonus or, you know, the, the opponents a penalty <clears throat> to help level the odds with Pano Whip. Uh, and potentially throw out those spotlights or whatever it is you want to do with your cheap Fusilier hackers. Um, amazing unit. Uh, for 20 points, it's a bargain at its cost. Oxbots are one of the best defensive assets that any army can have right now. Or an you know, attack you, asset, use I mean, goodness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if your Peacemaker yeah. is still alive at the end of an opponent's turn, you can make a mess with it for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a rad profile. You know, I really enjoyed them when I was playing my Drews. Uh I enjoyed them twice as much when they were inappropriately given to yeah. uh in my Drews. Yes. Uh, you know, but yeah that 20 point the 20 point heavy shotgun one just Such a feels yep. just feels insane. And yeah and it becomes this midfield beast where uh, much like a warband if you don't go deal with that, you are getting a shitload of templates to the face. And Rem's going prone now, of course, works in their favor. Mm -hmm. They're easier to conceal in those those terrain bottlenecks where you want them to, to do damage and deny area. So um, can't 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 go wrong with them really. I think they're a really, really excellent expenditure of twenty points. Yeah. Burst two damage fifteen heavy shotgun blast. Yes, please. Yeah, um, yep. And I did just have to double check. They're still only availability one in Drew's sad face. Yeah. Uh, Varuna only has them at AVA one as well. I think mm -hmm. they're actually the only playable uh, expression of Pano right now that has, has that lower AVA. Um, so it's, it's definitely a, a nudge in advantage of the others. Does MO have AVA two? I kind of feel like MO may that's worth checking. They might be. Man, MO out. has like surprisingly, sorry. AVA two. AVA two. Yeah. They have surprisingly good uh, remote availability. And that's an advantage for military orders as well. You know, two, two peacemakers up there, you know, four templates, multiple ox bots. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, to give serious consideration, all you Pano players, to getting the, the peacemaker out there because they will definitely help blunt an enemy attack and make them think twice before walking in a fire and heavy mm -hmm. shotgun hits. Yeah, I mean, just like parking a Peacemaker's ox spot next to a bunch of camo tokens is pretty rude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even even the opportunity to just be able to throw that discover roll at a camo token that's walking by you, and the most that you lose is you don't even lose an order; you just lose an ox spot. Mm -hmm. That's not a bad use of of. It's not a bad uh, tactic for interdicting a lot of the units that normally give Pano trouble. It's it's a really nice defensive tool. Right, Obi brings up the point that it plays nicely into what you were talking about with the um, with better hacker coverage out of Varuna. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, being able to start up there uh, with the repeater, and suddenly the enemy is trying to crack the problem of these templates that are dug into terrain. You know, maybe they want to use a, a unit with higher durability to come after it, a heavy infantry, and suddenly they have to contend with the fact that the repeater is there as well. So you create a real tactical puzzle. And your opponent has to apply the right game mechanics to dislodging it. And the more orders they spend on solving the tactical puzzle, the more you blunt that incoming attack on, on turn one. And really, that's the point, right, is making sure that you, you live to get your own turn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know if you've done much thinking about, um, 
leaving a bunch of hackers out with say and then hacking through a, a peacemaker's repeater to target them and having a uh a um clipper drone bot hanging out in the back to take advantage of any any guys they don't clear targeted from on your turn yeah it's it's nice it's really nice to be able to have a tool in place to punish um you know that's probably the only functional purpose right now of the grenade launcher since the grenade launcher right. range bands have changed mm -hmm. i used to do that all the time as you know bombard careless opponents on 12s with the fusilier like grenade launcher but because yeah. of the range band changes you know that's a lot less viable now so the rain the grenade launcher is there as a, a very cheap investment 14 points one swc to punish opponents who don't clear targeted and obviously if you're willing to make a slightly larger investment um you can pull in there and achieve something more impressive more spectacular is the missile bot a linkable inverna as well uh it, it was formerly let's have a look see it's here. yeah it is it's yeah. a, it's yeah. wild card yeah so you know it's, it's there the tool and the application is available and obviously defensive remotes have gotten much better because they fall prone now when they're unconscious so yes. you take advantage of those multiple unconscious states to i'm sure you nomads have, have covered this in spades right but it's uh um you know the the clipper is in a really nice place to be able to take advantage of that rule just like total reaction remotes are well great so Verona, your overall overall Feeling pretty okay with them? Yeah, it took some hits, but uh, they stepped up in other aspects of their game. So I think that Varuna players will certainly have options to explore. They're, they're not left high and dry. They just have to yeah, it's roll just, with it's the just different. Yeah, <clears throat> It's just Great. different. So, uh, so those were the new kids on the block. What do you think of the newer kids on the block? Those... Uh, the Svalrahaima Winter Force. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I did a a white noise episode a long time back with the wonderful Gavin Bateman. And, oh, yeah. you know, we got to tackle, uh, winter Force as it existed in M3. And we thought to mm -hmm. ourselves, you know, we, we haven't seen the whole picture. We need to wait till we see the whole picture, but here's how they look right now. And, you know, yeah. we've seen if N4 is the brute force edition, Svalaheim is the brute force faction. You know, when a new player comes up and says, what faction has the tricks, what faction is the one that just punches people relentlessly in the face? Svalaheima <laughs> yeah. uh, punches people relentlessly in the face. You know, nothing concealed about them. Everything has to start on the table, except for the kunai. I mean, you know, their entire army, right. once it's deployed, is visible. You're not surprising anybody with anything. But uh, they're going to be the new faction that people hate to fight for Pan-Oceania. I think that they will outshine Varuna as far as being the gold standard that tests lists and people have to adapt their their tournament preparation for in case they run into Svalheima. Yeah, it's interesting because like going through their profiles, even their their quote trickier units like the Nakin, the Kahu or the Vargar, like they're just tricky in having more ways to beat you in the face. Yeah. I mean it, the the thing that I want to state right away is that you know, we <laughs> the the uh, the car who is a profile I look at, and I continue to think that there are bugs in this profile that CD <laughs> overlooked and need to walk back because you know it's move six two. Okay, they're not heavy infantry, but they have six two. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Uh, Harris, yeah. all right. Everybody's got mimetism. Fascinating. Terrain total, so they're fast on your, depending on the table. All right, that's pretty cool. Oh, they also have climbing plus. Oh, climbing plus. That's a really good rule. Yep. Oh, they have NCO for good measure. Um, Why not? Every one of them. Right. And so I think that it's going to be very, very common to see core-length fusiliers feeding five-man bonuses to the Fuerbach, as well as a Harris profile of these guys. Uh, yeah. Also with Fuerbach. Uh, and then, you know, why not bring both specialists because they bring mines, they bring the amazing multi-rifle, which is brilliant for cracking armor in this edition. Mm -hmm. And then they even have blitzens in case you really want to add even more like potent anti-armor lethality to your list. Um, yeah, this, this is a phenomenal unit and this unit single-handedly bumps Svalheimer up several levels on the, on the power scale. Um, absolutely incredible. They're they're kind of one of my favorite units in small. Like they were almost enough to make me think like I should expand my military orders to also be small. But that's how you get vanilla, you know. Like mm -mm, yep. I'm not doing that. But yeah, that is how you uh, get vanilla. I really like that Karhu multi rifle Emirat profile as a yep. solo beast for, for 26 points. Yep. With climbing plus and six two, like it gets where it wants. Um, and then you can deliver. You know, you walk around the corner and what do they do? Like. The right. Emirat is nothing can really absorb getting hit by an Emirat. You know, you can you can turn off a tag like boop, there yep. he goes. Was worth throwing my cargo under the bus for. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Now that we're you know in N four, now that climbing plus is sort of the vastly superior rule to super jump mm -hmm. as well, and you know climbing plus is one of those things that on the tin players have a difficult time evaluating the value of it. But when you don't have a marker state and you're trying to survive in the midfield, we all know, every, everybody in here knows that hiding on a rooftop uh, is, is one of the strongest places you can be. And when yep. we also factor in the changes to grenade launchers and it's much harder to spec fire on top and you need to make somebody, you know, run up and try and target you, you know, try and spotlight you, maybe to get up on top of the building, you're draining orders, draining orders, draining orders. So being able to have this team in the midfield shooting the hell out of stuff with multi-ammo, EM, and the Fuerbach while, you know, defending their rooftop in in, right. in the most savage manner with a ton of excellent tools for doing so. I think it's one of the best Harris teams we're likely to, to see in the game. Yeah. It's, it's a, really, really strong. It's a rad piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in... So, I'm, I'm, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, in the Vargar's defense, though, Albedo... Is uh, yeah, I mean, so Vargar is what I talk about next, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, they, they have the, the inferior super jump in comparison to, to climbing plus, and so I mean, it is a bit of a nerf, um, because you can't jump and then fall now. But uh, if they didn't have super jump, I would probably still take them, right? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, go ahead, yeah. I say like one of the things that got me thinking about the, the Vargar was actually the MSV1 counterplay to warbands. Where people aren't going to be using, people might not be using as much MSV2 to counter warbands because you can get MSV1 oftentimes cheaper. Right. And if it's an ARO piece, it's going to get thrown under the bus after the impetuous phase, anyways. Um, but then Vargar kind of flipped that on their head. They're like, cool, you took some MSV1 guys. That's nice. I'm going to annihilate them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot comes down to, you know, potentially what your meta is. I think one of the mm -hmm. things I, w I would point out is that. When you're playing a pano force, 
it almost doesn't matter what's standing up to oppose you because in your active turn you can probably shoot it off the table anyway regardless of whether right. it's a visor troop and non-visor troop but the Vargard does bring some of that really nice utility that Pano doesn't always get to see um, I think it's really hard to argue with the tried and true value of like mimetism plus visor, which sadly has been the definitive pano design space for years and years and years now. But the mm -hmm. Vargar make a good attempt, and I think that you get some really nice addition specific rules like the K1 Marksman, um, mm -hmm. whose who stock goes up a lot, goes up a heck of a lot um, in, in this edition. Yeah, K1 isn't uh, isn't so bad anymore. I think K1 also went up a point of damage, so they're now on damage thirteen profiles. At least the multi the uh, K1 sniper is um, damage thirteen. Yeah, damage thirteen. So that extra point of damage actually goes like a long way mathematically to make it compare to even a regular combi rifle. Mm -hmm. yeah, that I was agree. Before firing yeah. at armor one, it was the same as firing a, a combi rifle and firing at armor zero. It was worse. So now it is never worse, which is important. Yeah, yeah right. I'll, I'll make a major shout out too for for the Varg specifically. You know the triangulated fire sensor profile. Oh God, I, I love think that. Profile. You know, I, I think with Sniffer gone, you yeah. need to have some redundant sources of sensor. Otherwise, you're going to be in you're going to be in a really bad way. And I think that that profile there, plus the fact that it just throws in the wild parrot for good measure, and the wild parrot has just gotten so much better this mm -hmm. edition. Um, yep. you, you can solve a lot of problems. I mean, that's a unit that can single-handedly solve a lot of problems and turn your opponent's robust defense, you know, can just punch big holes in it by spotting things, discovering things, and, you know, uh, EMing their best target. Yeah, I mean, that wild parrot changes everything because uh, in the past, right, if you had a situation where your opponent had camo spam, like that was a, I mean, like some, some armies you get camo spam even if you're not trying. Right, you finish making lists, you're like, oh, I guess I have to sweep all of my camo tokens into the bag when I go to the tournament. All right, I guess <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah. Um, but now you can do things like walk into the midfield, censor a bunch of them open, right? And then put the wild parrot exactly where you need to put it to make their life awful. Before you had to make some concessions about being within eight of like actual movement path and so on, but now you don't have to do that anymore. So I think, I think that's a, a really big deal to be able to do that sort of thing. Is this the only non non tag non remote source of a heavy flamethrower in Pano? It's a good question. Let's see. Uh, technically, the Garda had one. Oh, yeah, Garda did yeah, but he's, he's Order just out of the game right now, but he'll be coming back. Hopefully, I, I guess so. Um, because the only the only well, the only thing that's coming up in the search is the Oxbot from the Order Sergeants in Vanilla. Right. Yeah. So right. yeah, I think I think that's that's a true statement. Just an, just an interesting little note. I mean, yeah. large templates with continuous damage are fun. Mm -hmm. Although now, good thing in this edition. Yep. Yeah, now, now that we have um, heavy shotguns being a, like an actual legit template weapon, now that's less of a thing, right? Like they're they're getting to be kind of they're not they're not equal, but you can sort of substitute one for the other, right? So it's not it's not a must that you have heavy flamethrowers around. And two quick responses to that comment as well. One is that first of all, Heimer, remember that peacemaker because you don't have any camo troops anyway. Everything's starting on the table, so it's an even better opportunity to take a peacemaker because you're not thinking about hiding anything in camo because it's not an option. Um, the other thing to mention too is that the bulleteer, already a good choice, received duo. 
So Ooh. if you have wild card choices who yeah. either want an ODD heavy shotgun escort or an ODD, I'm sorry, mimetism minus six Spitfire escort, <laughs> right. um, the, the options exist. And so that's an interesting little nudge in favor of Pano's remote game, which has always been strong. Uh, obviously, the Spitfire is going to have a lot less natural prey now. You have to spring for the Evo. It's harder to buff. You know, the opportunity cost is a little more challenging. But it's it's still as good a gunfighter as it ever was. And I think the shotgun option got considerably better because you can drag a 17-point defensive turret around with your That's wild card and, yeah. um, and, and make the enemy really sweat trying to get to whatever trooper you're trying to protect. So what do you think about a bulleteer uh, escort for Shona Carano? Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I think she comes with her own good link options anyway. But I think that's a wonderful idea, especially with her mobility rules. You know, she can get stuff up on rooftops. Um, I think the biggest challenge for her in Sval is that you don't have, obviously she doesn't have marker state, she doesn't have smoke. So yeah. getting her into close combat has some challenges. The enemy has to be get a little bit careless with, um, you know, line of sight and stuff to safely deliver her. But I think she's really, really good at hunting through a dense midfield. And I think that, uh, yeah, that's, giving her, I mean, a, yeah, giving, giving her a, a bullet to your buddy is helpful. Yeah. He can, he can kind of make up for her weaknesses or it's kind of a, well, yeah, a similar boat to, uh, to Gunner Lundmark, um, where you can use the, the dedicated firepower of a bulleteer with, you know, with the negative, the mimetism negative six, and then once you get up close, just start bashing things with hammers. Oh yeah, yeah. The um, gunner is is interesting too because he's sort of the natural uh, competition with Shona, just because they mm -hmm. both sort of occupy similar roles. You know, they're kind of fragile, like pseudo two wound, one and a half wound mm -hmm. um, melee specialists. I think that Shona probably beats him out in terms of like the raw order efficiency, but he does bring tack awareness now. So at least he's he's bringing another order for himself to use. Um, I know a lot of people. Buttons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's he's you know he's 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 got some he's got some inbuilt um, application there. I still think he's a little on the expensive side, but mm -hmm. for people who are determined to use him, you know, he's he's bringing tools. Interesting. I'm just trying to see if there's any other fun little tricks in here. Um, yeah, no, it's it's. Oh yeah, let's talk a little bit about you know this will maybe segue us to uh, to the next sectoral, but uh, let's talk about hospitalers in here. Um, I feel like I didn't see a lot of knights necessarily showing up in the small list I was seeing. Um, and personally, I feel like the 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 price changes alone to hospitalers uh, might change that quite a bit. Yeah, I think um, you know. Running back to that that white noise episode from back in the day, I think that a Hospitaller Harris really stood out as being a decent use of points in N3 because the Hospitaller Harris could get a lot done. You know, self-contained, drags its doctor around with them as a good HMG platform. Uh, and that's just true to the nth degree. I know I've, I've heard players I respect directly say that the Hospitaller has now become one of the best units in the game as far yeah. as the rules that it brings relative to its cost. Yeah. I, I really can't argue with that. I mean, I what either. a complete package, you know, what, what, well, so what do you think unit. of that? Uh, what do you think of that forward deployment boarding shotgun hospitaler? 
Cool stuff. I mean, uh, you know, once again, Svalahaima, everything's starting on the table anyway. If you really want to double down on having troops in the midfield, they're all going to be standing out there. You know, get your peacemakers out there to insulate it and protect it. Uh, I, I think it's not bad at all. I think it's a cool little unit, and I think it's not bad if you want to have, you know, a midfield bruiser, a little knightly presence, but don't want to buy the full Harris or core team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's fun. Small, small seems like it's like you mentioned. It's it's in a good place of, of just cracking heads, yep. um, which I think also makes them a good. You know, they're, they're the army that's featured in Code One for Panoceana. So as people are growing out of Code One into full blown Infinity, they're maybe not necessarily having to learn all kinds of new tricks. They're like, no, no, you just beat your heads with more rules now. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think it makes them a really effective, you know, starting army, learning army, which is kind of what CB always wanted for Pan-Oceania anyway. Right. Um, and I think, it, you know, they were in a tough position where they had to keep the army accessible as sort of the vanilla boys in blue, while at the same time satisfying, you know, a hungry player base that says, hey, why do we have to shoot everything all the time? Can't we get some kind of tactical versatility, tactical flexibility? And so I think that Svalahaima is going to be that entry level, you know, head kicking, face cracking, hey, new players, this is how you win a face-to-face to roll type sectorial. And it's going to open up the design space for all the other flavors of Pano. Yeah, and I think yeah, one, was, one of, those, one of mm-hmm. the nice things for new players is that they have a lot of movement options, right? If you look at the Varg, less so now, and the Karhu. So you can really deliver the gun where exactly where you needed to find that, like, pool shot. Right through the keyhole. Oh yeah, and I think oh, I think yeah. that that's a big frustration point for a lot of new players. So, like looking at uh, a new panel player and saying three, you put all their stuff down against a new player on the other side, and you know new players very likely to be like, I can shoot in your turn. Great, I'm gonna leave all of my stuff out, and the panel player immediately is like, excellent, and then just guns everything down on the first turn. So then on the second game, their opponent is like, well. Screw that! I'm not doing that again, and it puts everything prone. And the panel player is like, "I can't do anything that I'm used to doing. I'm in the midfield. I push the button, and then all of a sudden, I'm like inundated with camo tokens, and I've lost. Like, right. what just happened? And now, and right. they, they've ha- they really struggle finding um, a way to get to the piece that's threatening them. But uh, Sval has has a multitude of ways of accomplishing that, which I think helps both with building good habits and also reducing the likelihood for a negative play experience. So I think this is a really cleverly designed sectorial to achieve that objective of pulling in the new player. So good job, CB. I think that's well articulated. And as as you know, a, a competitive player, one of the reasons that Shock Army stood out to me as being such an excellent and valid ITS offering is that you got somebody like Dart with Climbing Plus who could suddenly solve a multitude of midfield problems that were totally inaccessible to Pano before. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy gets on top of a building and, you know, has a mine or a yep. template or is in suppressive fire, and he might as well be on the moon. You can't do anything to him as a Pano player until he either stands up or you run into that hail of fire in order to, to dislodge that threat. But uh, something with Climbing Plus opens up possibilities, and Svalahaima displays that en masse in spades. Yeah, small. Yeah, they have a lot of fun toys, and I think, yeah, I think this uh, this pan this hospitaler is a good segue over to start talking a little bit about military orders, which is the, the pano of my choice. Um, yeah, I'm just, sorry, just thinking about that forward deployment boarding shotgun, like taking one of those with a peacemaker in the midfield with also heavy shotgun. That's so there, yes, it's a good roadblock, and it gives you good tools up close. You know, I'm, I'm a little wary of shotguns right now 
like anything that's starting at, at burst two, I just don't trust my dice enough. But I think if you if you you know if you if you make the smart choices, it's going to serve you well in the midfield. Right. I'm just imagining starting that that hospitaler up you know up in the deployment zone. Someone's like, I'm playing against Pano. I know better than to leave out a bunch of ARO pieces. And then I just go Rambo a hospitaler boarding shotgun down your throat. Yeah. No, completely. Um. <laughs> so military orders got it. It feels like they, to me, um, again, probably just because it's a sectoral I'm the most familiar with. I think they got some, probably the most changes in this edition. Um, and a lot of them are subtle. You know, like sticking to this uh, Hospitaler, right? The Hospitaler MA2 is a whole lot different than what they were before in close combat. Like, their melee capabilities drastically changed because of the martial arts change. Um, suddenly, they're swinging at CC24 with their DACCW and putting the enemy at negative three. Yeah, martial arts two now being the magic number for you know martial arts superiority is a big deal. Uh, it means that a lot of units that were okay in close combat have suddenly become excellent in close combat. Yeah, and you, you know, people wanted knights to be excellent in close combat. Yeah. One hundred percent. You know, it's MO is tricky because you know CB is sort of always always tinkering with it a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. there's you know the the they get this change, they get that change, and I think one of the things that's tough is that they received such an excellent you know sort of glue band aid lube whatever you want to call it that helps the army function better. They received such an excellent asset in the form of the the Knight of Santiago that it almost oh, yeah. overshadows. Oh everything God. else right i mean here yeah. is a profile that you could not leave home without in n3 and that's still the case because it gives you basically your only anti-info war and a mm -hmm. faction and a sectorial that's widely hackable yes yeah, super yep. vulnerable oh man no so yeah the knight of santiago is it still does as far as i can tell other than the new profile which we'll talk about in a second here it basically does what it did before but what it did before was really good Yep. Right. <laughs> yes, yeah. It turned it up to eleven. <laughs> yeah, like you're saying, you want this thing because it defends your link from InfoWar. And it's not a, it's you know, it's still a BS fourteen, uh in the case of the killer hacker, you know, BS fourteen combi rifle is still a good gun to get plenty of work done with. Um this firewall stack is uh hmm? this firewall stack. Firewalls I don't think firewall stacks with firewall, but it stacks with other mods. Gotcha. Um so Timbots, from what I can tell, are now all, they're just firewalls. Mm -hmm. um, but really the profile that I know that we all want to talk about <laughs> is that that the Knight of Santiago combat jump killer hacker with boarding shotgun decharges mines. Yeah. Pretty like that, what does it not do? <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah. It's landing on 13, so it has a solid chance to land where it wants. There's e no easily bobbable to 16s, too, because an Evo is not a bad thing to have in, in military orders at all. Um, yeah, right for those firewall mods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's 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 smart. I think probably the, the best case I've seen made for that profile, too, is that uh, with Red Rum no longer being in the game as a very strong defensive program, you're your counter hacking needs to really happen in the active turn for Trinity to really have mm. traction with that burst three. And so, you know, this is credit credit goes to Gavin Bateman too, sort of my, my partner in crime for all things Pan Oceania. 
he was talking about using this guy aggressively, really seizing upon the killer hacking component to drop this guy into the enemy table half on turn one with you know pinpoint accuracy to try to melt the brain of anything you think is going to mess with your heavy infantry link teams and you know being totally unreserved about it getting it in there and rolling trinity attacks against opposition right off the bat um as a almost a preemptive strike to them setting up repeater nets and causing well, and, and he can just do it right? yeah he can 80 down there because he wants to you know, um, and then as is walking towards your hacker, your hacker is trying to mobilize or isolate them. He's like, whatever, and lightning your face. And then if you get to the point where you actually get in line of fire of this hacker that you have sent, you know, sentenced to death, you now walk around the corner and they have an impossible ARO. Yep. Right. They're either going to hack you, reset or eat boarding shotguns to the face. Yeah. And even if they shoot back, then you template, template them. It's just awful. Awful, awful, awful. Uh, I totally want to point out here as well that MO had a lot of uh, weaponry that was kind of specialized or maybe even overkill by N3 standards. But now all of that stuff has a role. You know, everything that has D charges is no longer playing for classified objectives. Now D charges, now that they no longer have a penalty, are basically, you know, a super smashy close combat attack. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, you thought that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you thought the DA CCW was good. Now you can just use the D charges and there's no drawback. You know, EM grenades on the other profiles too, worth their weight in gold now. Um, yep. You know, all of these all of these things that were, you know, maybe corner case before or a little bit situational are now devastating, absolutely devastating in the N4 meta. Yeah, it's, it is such a fun profile. Um, kind of like you mentioned, like it's going to be, Hard to not start my list with like, okay, here's my Santiago hacker. Like, what's next? <clears throat> Notice too, they has shock mines. So you know, if you, you, I could really see spending almost your entire turn on that guy when he when he oh, drops yeah. in. You know, you drop in, get your mines out there for area denial, bottle the enemy up in their DZ, do your selective, you know, killer hacking. You know, try to take out the targets you want. And then either go out in a blaze of glory, shotgunning or decharging something that's, you know, either a bunch of squishies or a big important target. Yeah, go, I mean, de- go decharge a tag, right? 100%. Yeah. I've got to say, I'm also really excited for Teutons. Um, I was a little afraid they were going to get deleted with the new edition, uh, especially because I, you know, converted my own squad of three of them that I was very happy with. Um, but now... Like that, I loved the NCO Spitfire before. It's shed a few points, it's dropped half a swick. Like, that's feeling really nice. Um, or just again, like this solo dude with explosive close combat weapon, Berserk, giving him assault now, which no longer has the penalty. Mm-hmm. One thing that's really interesting is that the, the recent interview with Heloise. A question was asked, you know, how come JSA heavy infantry received a lot of N4 attention, but magisters did not? And the answer basically was that magisters weren't touched because they're being removed entirely from the game soon. And so they just, they didn't bother uh, spending any development time on them at all, which is why their rules didn't change and they did not receive any point reduction. Mm. But that means that Teutons become more significant because they're the other fairly expensive Panzerfaust launching close combat swinging alternative. Um, and maybe they'll see changes. Maybe not, but maybe they will see changes. 
Interesting, because yeah, they did. They did remove them from the uh, from production. They did. Um, we were very confused by that, actually, when they did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would that would make me a little sad because they actually are one of my favorite knights. Um, I yeah, I mean, here's 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 my soapbox on magisters, right? Um, very cool unit. They've found their natural place in this edition because Panzerfaust are great and shotguns mean they can stand at a corner and be a defensive turret. Mm-hmm. If we wanted Vanilla Pano to have a really, really unique and interesting warband choice, right? This is take it. the take get rid of their AVA one in vanilla, inexplicable. Mm-hmm. Make them AVA three, and suddenly mm-hmm. you will see Pano players using a really interesting and creative warband choice. Their amazing dodge ability. Can you imagine them dodging up the table on sixteens, utilizing bonus movement? There's yeah. so much seventeens. Uh, there you go. There's so much about them that really shines in this edition. Um, but the plug is being pulled. Go figure. Oh well, I I, I hope that that they're just simply a. Um, discontinued miniature plug being pulled and uh, not completely removed from the game because I have four of them and I really like them. Not to rain on your parade because I I agree that Magisters are one of the real reasons to play military orders. Uh, Oh my God. But, you know, hopefully we'll see, hopefully we'll see some alternative offered up that fulfills the same role. Well, we we have some influence here, right? I imagine the reason why we don't, they're, they're even considering removing them is because they don't see much play, and I think that's yeah true from my experience, right? I haven't really seen them on the table except for edge cases, um, and mostly it's just like oh they're fun to play, so I put them on there. But I, I there's this sort of um, negative view view of them, right? Unless you're putting them in a core, so maybe it's time to play Pano and throw Magisters in there and and start uh, upping the stats in ITS, right? So if you're if you're gonna be joining a uh, a TTS um, tournament or something like that, or you're lucky enough to live in a place that you can have uh, safe, responsible in-person games for a tournament, throw a couple of magisters in your panel list and uh, start bumping up their stats and CB's telemetry. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll I have a, around. Yeah. You know, a, a spin on that as well. You know, I have a sneaking suspicion that magisters are the only nightly order in here that does not have historical significance. And I know that CB are devoted historians and, you know, medieval martial artists and things like that. And I feel like it was easier for them to pull the plug on the null order than it is for them to pull the plug on an established military order. And that's their historical geekiness coming to the forefront. But the thing is, uh, like, so Magisters, they still have a lot of null uh, null orders in military orders because Magisters were were of whichever order they served. Right. right, exactly. That's, that's sort of the, the neutral choice, the neutral yeah. baseline. It's the same thing with um, with Order Sergeants, with Crusader Brethren, with Blackfriars. Like, they were all... Um, every order had those line troops, and then when they, when they, like, achieved high enough rank to become one of the specialized knights, they became a Hospitaller, an Equestrian profile in the game. Um, so, like, I remember one of the things I really enjoyed when I was first looking at military orders, there's all this artwork that they did of all of the different types of knights in their house colors, right? So, like, this is what a father knight would look like in the house colors. This is what a, mm. you know, et cetera. So that's that's the that's right. the reason knight why of it justice. wasn't. Well, and, and now a knight of justice, because knight of justice is a, is a hospitality rank, Um but before it was just Father Knight, and every every you know group of knights had a Father Knight. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't love that change, but given how the the other attention that they've already committed to giving mil, uh, military orders, you know, so we're still waiting on, of course, the uh, Montessa Knight miniature. Um, Carlos did say that the uh, Holy Sepulchre was going to get upgraded to a, a tag. Um, Size five. Or an S5 heavy infantry, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so like, we'll they've see. already... Hmm? Right. Yeah, we'll see. They've, I mean, they've it, already... is, it is a Carlos statement, right? So no no disrespect right. to but, Carlos. But they said like, they're paying attention to military orders. Yeah. And I think it makes sense. I think military orders like JSA gets a lot of people into the game, especially 40K players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Space Knights! So, yay! They're, they're better Space Knights than the Space Knights in the game that focuses on Space Knights. Right. Yeah, I think if if the good stuff sticks around, you know, the the profiles we've discussed for Santiago, obviously Hospitalers are amazing. You know, there's there's meat that's there. You know, the the new unit, of course, Trinitarian Tertiaries, yes, uh, are bringing a ton of great midfield flexibility. They're now a, a preeminent camo unit. Yes. You know, there's, there's good stuff there. So, uh, yeah, by all so means, go ahead. For those who don't know, yeah, so Trinitarians were. They got rid of the specialist knight, the specialist sergeants, right? And they've made a new unit, the the TO specialist sergeants. Yeah. So the order sergeant list is much less now, right? And they're all right. linkable. It seems. But yeah, they're all linkable. Um, I guess except for the ones with the Ockbots, maybe. But they've moved all of the the TO ones out into their own profile, the Trinitarians. So they've divorced their their uh, their. Um, their availability, which was a big deal because one of the things I was enjoying kind of at the very tail of N3 was like, wait a minute, military orders has total availability of uh, TO infiltrating port observers. Like, why are people not doing this? Like, I can take five of these? What's wrong? What do you mean military orders is bad? Um, but now they've, they've restricted them to three. Um, I will cope. They actually also totally changed their equipment, though, um, which is why Dan is printing me out some Pano boarding shotguns so I can fix my <laughs> the uh, the specialist sergeants that I made. Um, but yeah, the Trinitarian multi sniper is basically exactly what it was before. Yep. But it's really these the three Ford Observer profiles that are killer. Um, so you've got yeah, a boarding shotgun, decharges, flashballs, mines, Ford Observer. Uh, same profile that's also a mine layer, and then another one which swaps the SM the uh, boarding shotgun for an SMG, which comes at a nice four point discount. So twenty three points gets you a four observer TO infiltrating specialist. I think this is the only specialist mine layer, right? Ooh. Oh no no, or you can nine. Oh, there you go. I mean, I'm but sure there's actually, another one, but in the, in the midfield, I think it's the only, those two are the only ones, maybe. That's a pretty good point, because it, it lets you, you know, there's, it is annoying that it costs a full swick for the profile, mm-hmm. but being able to take one model, which satisfies both the need for adding some midfield speed bump and also midfield specialists. On the topic of that SWC cost as well, with the general reductions across the board, I think it's highly unlikely that you're going to have serious problems with the SWC cap. I know that all the all the lists that I've played, 
in builds, even for Pan Oceania, where I'm trying to load up on big guns, it's rare for me to hit the, the SWC cap because so many big weapons went down by at least half an SWC across the board. Mm-hmm. So, you know, more, more to play with. And I think that that one SWC would have felt criminal in N3, but I think it's okay and justifiable in N4. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that would have that would have caused riots. Yes. Yes, it would. Yes. With Hospitaler HMGs at two SWC and that being sort of their the natural competition, but I think now it's it's not nearly so bad. Well it's interesting. I'm kind of feeling um military orders really felt like a, a pretty static army to me before. Um they moved but slowly with a very light midfield presence. Um I, I don't know about like, that. I mean the last time I played your military orders they appeared on my side of the table pretty fast. Well, yeah, it's because I also played weird military orders. Um, but I think, like, between, obviously, Dart, who is still amazing, mm-hmm. um, the Trinitarian Tertiaries, you know, 23-point, or fairly spammable uh, TO Fort Observers, your Hospitaler Knight, who's going to start in the midfield with the boarding shotgun, your um, the uh, the Peacemakers we just talked about, who is an absolute steal for the cost. Like, there's there's quite a bit of midfield happening uh, suddenly in this army. I agree. I mean, I could really easily see a list that has, you know, some peacemaker presence, some tertiary presence, and suddenly you've got really nice, you know, denial and specialist capability in the midfield. Maybe you'll lean into the Montessa Teak Belong as sort of your fire superiority piece with everything else as cheap orders. And that's, I mean, I'm not saying you should avoid knights, but suddenly you've created for yourself a really interesting list that's unlike anything ML could run before where you don't even have to lean into a big knight link team if you don't want to. You know, you it actually run, reminds me a lot of my shock army where the teak belong is running and gunning and you're doing the mission behind a wall of, you know, anti-personnel mines and like and uh, and you know tag style active turn dominance. So it's it's an interesting notion, you know, it, it really opened up the list building possibilities tremendously. Yeah, it's a little bit less straightforward. Right, you're yep. like you're not just like where are my beat sticks? Here's a couple of necessary uh, Father Knight, you know, Fort Observer or Father Knight um, uh, Spec Sergeant Fort Observers, and then like let's see how this goes. Go on, Joan. Um, red, red. That you can definitely play. You know, when you show up against somebody playing military orders now, you don't necessarily know ninety percent of their list off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Speaking so of not a, knowing, what do you guys think about the uh, grenade launcher? Holy Sepulcher Knight masquerading as your favorite Hospitaler boarding shotgun. I mean, now you're effectively reaching deep into their deployment zone on eights. That's that's not bad, honestly. Um, the thing I really like about it is I was kind of thinking it might be a big brain move in this edition with how effective um, targeting is to hold like your um, to hold your clipper as your reserve piece. Hmm. Right. Well, so you don't have to reserve you know, this. Like, you can put it down as whatever you want. Exactly. So this lets you, this lets you accomplish the same thing where people are looking at your table and it's like, okay, you might have a missile launcher or an HRL somewhere, but you, you're not, you know, you're not putting templates indiscriminately wherever you want. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you're like, LOL grenades. I am now. You know, hitting, hitting on eights yeah. is 11s. If you're targeted. 11s if you're targeted. Yeah. I mean, um, hey, Margo's good. We know Margo's good, so why not? Right. Yeah, it's not it's not bad, and it's 
it's also one of those things where like sometimes at the end of the turn you've got an extra order or two and you're like well this could be fun like the the the, the risk is low and the reward is potentially very high yeah i think a lot of that too is going to depend on you know sort of the, the nature of the nature of what you run up against um sure because i think too that with with tack window now a lot of targets are going to be considerably more resilient to having a grenade dropped on their head compared to you know back lines of line troopers and arm zero low ph rems across the board and n3 that were you know bulking out order pools there's going to be a lot of elite stuff but at the same time too um you know the, there's always advantage in surprise there's always advantage in springing something on somebody um and i think yeah, that being able to true. yeah with remotes not charging it or not dodging the penalty anymore means they're going to be dodging on their, I guess, sevens against your eight. It's not huge. Um, yeah. I mean, realistically, if they I group up, you know, anything's possible. Yeah, but that's yeah. the thing though. I think we'll probably see things start to group up more because with tactical window, people are naturally going to want to gravitate towards uh, order efficiency I via links. Right. Sorry. Yeah. People are going to be taking that. Uh, I think, um, a disproportionate number of people are going to be making higher order lists than they would have before when there wasn't tactical window, right? Because fifteen Maybe. feels like a much more attainable number to hit than twenty. Yeah. So I, I guess I guess uh, so. That's two things. We'll increase unit density, right? Because there's to be more stuff on the table than we would have seen before. Because usually we clock in at twelve, thirteen. Now we're at fifteen. People are more likely to take links, and at least in the early days, people will you know be a little unused to having to reserve orders to correct link positioning because they're used to having they'll, they'll they'll play their 15 orders they'll use them and they're like oh crap i usually had two more left to unfuck this mess mm -hmm. right but now i guess it's fine if i leave these two guys together and all of a sudden there's a missile or a grenade landing on your head which is bad so um yeah it, it's got it's kind of interesting your point of uh, earlier saying that like a damage 13 grenade launcher is probably not going to really scratch the paint on a lot of stuff that you might see now um and at 51 points, having the flexibility is nice, but that's also quite expensive. And it actually might be better if you put a clipper on the table and just overtly say, if you don't clear targeted, you're fucked. Right? Yeah. Like that's probably a, like a more useful thing to do because that gets in their head and that can force play errors. Right. It was the same thing. Like I, I played a game where I just had a lizard on the table. I didn't use it at all, really. I think I shot like one thing with the HMG and I didn't even bother firing the, the grenade launcher at all. But just the mere fact that it was there forced my opponent to to spend two or three extra orders like shuffling link members around to make sure that they were completely uh, not in template formation. And that was definitely a win for me because those two, three orders could have been spent on doing literally anything else. Right. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I'm... One of the things I really like about most reorders, and I think this edition actually works really well with them, is the two three-man links. You know, it's really tempting to go for that five-man night link, which is just outrageous um, and horribly <laughs> expensive. Yeah. But the um, being able to, to take two really solid three-man links is mm -hmm. interesting as well. Um, yeah, you, know, you can take the a hospitaler link. You can you, you can really fit in now a three man hospitaler link and a three man Teuton link, or even two three man hospitaler links if you're using Knights of Santiago in them to fill out for KHDs. 
Mm -hmm. um, kind of the way you and I, John, were approaching building um, lists for uh, Invincible Army. Yeah. And then back it up with, with actually like a fair amount of decent, not terribly expensive uh, remotes and, and uh, light infantry. Yeah, I, I really think, at least for me, moving into the, the N4 landscape, I'll be basically playing uh, three, three model links almost exclusively. And I'm going to try to get two of them in there if I can. And I think um, just because there is a tendency when you start putting linkable models into a list, you may sit at like four and then you say, okay, I really have to get the fifth one in there because I'm, like, I'm giving up that plus three burst. Um, and that is kind of a bit of a mental trap. Uh, so I think you should probably just drop the fourth member and find something else useful, like just throw in a camo infiltrator or something instead. Um, but I think my, my list building problem will be I will try to force two, three model links um, at the expense of something else. And that will be a bad, a bad list-making decision for me. Um, I've done mm. it already, just like fooling around in the army builder. Um, and I'm sort of like, ah, I really want this, but I guess I, I don't want it at the same time. And I feel like my playstyle would be better served if I had a bunch of midfield specialists that weren't tied down by two other link members. Um, so right. I think I think that'll be a, a bit of a self-policing thing I need to do, which is to avoid blindly just stuffing two or three model links into the list and choosing which one really, <laughs> really would get most benefit. It's like a real problem, right, out of, like, out of JSA. Because yeah. there's a lot more wild cards now, so I can conceivably build like a Karakuri plus Yuriko plus uh, a Kempeitai Paris, which is gross, right? And then you're like, well, if yeah. I have that, I should have a Keitsutsu thing, and you, and you just start running out of, even even in JSA, right, you start running out of points. So um, you just got to be careful. But yeah, I think I... Personally, I just think five five model lengths are too unwieldy to move around, so I gravitate towards the three. I, th I think that's smart. I think that you know the most common pitfall I see. I think the the easiest ticket to losing a game is to walk your five man link out of the deployment zone. I mean, the number of times that I I think there's like there's like a direct statistical correlation. Uh, thinking back across the games I played, between somebody walking their link team out of their deployment zone turn one and losing the game badly, that's just not like a sound tactical decision unless you really, really, really have a plan. But I think that um, being able to work with three man links, being able to work with Harris links, that's a size that's wieldy and also a size that can be fed into the meat grinder without necessarily crippling the rest of your list. Right. Um, and so I, I, I think that's sound. I think that's really sound and becomes even more valid when the amount of orders may go down. Certainly lethality goes up, you know, the points per miniature that we're seeing and the increased combat effectiveness that we're seeing in lists is going up tremendously. It makes yeah. sense not to put five guys in harm's way in the midfield. Nice. Yeah, there's yeah, I'm I'm really liking the threes. I, I can't I can't imagine taking fives. Especially for me at least with Pano, like part of the strength of playing Pano is having good BS. And then so spending all these extra points, you're spending like basically forty percent more points, right? On you know, four more or two more guys in a five man link to get three extra points of something that you're already higher at than your opponent. Um, I take I take five man links, but the reason I take five man links is because I'm almost always building around fusiliers or acon regulars as being that primary 
like linkable component. And in there, it serves two purposes. One is a firebase for a bigger gun. The mm-hmm. second one is that, you know, as great as Fusiliers and Shock Army regulars are, they're really not good cheerleaders because, um, you know, they're bad at hemorrhaging damage because they don't have a direct template weapon. They don't have a shotgun. They don't have something that can stop that guy who charges around the corner at them. So they really, really, really need link bonuses in order to be able to contest that impersonator that comes their way or that AD trooper drops in. You know, when they're suddenly BS 15 burst two, they have a chance. So five man linking them actually allows them to be more defensible and survivable than they, than they would be solo. Yeah, I, I kind of just thinking like the easy way to to to, to say that distinctly would be that basically like five man bonuses are there to um, shore up cheap links. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. the three man bonus gives kind of the most bang for your buck for troops that are already good. Yeah, you know, Pano has to solve every problem with a with a gun, and so you know it's right. it's hard for them to get away from. You know the the castle. You know the castle around the core link, and you know their ability to project that five man burst from their DZ, either active turn or projecting it via ARO, is really different because they usually don't have the mines and the hacking and the direct templates and the koalas and whatever else you might have to slow the enemy down. Um, so I tend to lean into the five man link, but with the caveat that it never leaves my deployment zone unless it's turn three. Right. There's an explicit purpose, and the the things that will eat them are mostly dealt with. Right, right, right. G- games on the line, so let's let's get them into the mix. Mm-hmm. So, mix. Good segue. You said that word, so I'm going to use that Aha. to mix things up. Whoa, and mix all this together. And uh, so, thinking about basically how this is all going to work together to make vanilla, right? Like for me, one of the things that that is always I don't know, bugged me. I've definitely noticed it coming from, uh, you know, watching Pano from the outside before I started my military orders. And it's that um, the the knights are very polarizing. And I see a lot of people kind of poo-poo on vanilla Pano for the longest time. And a lot of, at the same time, they're also like, yeah, but I would never take a knight. All right? And it's like, well, you're already, you know, you're cutting out a third of the units and then saying that vanilla is not good. Um do you think that there is a future in vanilla pano now? And do you think that it includes knights? Yes. I mean, is, (laughs) is, is Joan, is Joan a knight? Um, because I think you'll see lots of people, you'll see lots of people advocate for vanilla pano. That's that's fair. fair. Uh, so, you know, for me right now, uh, potentially, yes, you can, you can see some knights in there. I would really like for them to give, some of those best excellent night profiles, you know, to vanilla, like for example, uh, a lot of them are sectorial specific right now. And I don't think there's a lot of reason for that to be the case. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think too, probably the best case that you can make for vanilla right now, and it can potentially include knights as part of it is that it's the place where chain of command lives. Um, Right. And so whether you're thinking about a tag game or whether you're thinking about Joan, um, that's where your chain of command is. And so if you want that insurance blanket, uh, that's that's the investment you have to make and that's the faction you have to pick. You know, that's the pano playable faction you have to pick. Well, that's the... So there's... 
Um, because that's the the Night of the Holy Sepulchre that you're talking about, right? With the Chain of Command, which bold, bold for high twenties. Yeah. Um, Chain of Command, twenty eight is, is yeah. what I'm thinking. Yep. Bolt is probably where it's going to be. Um, or even John Hawkwood. Yeah, Hawkwood's in there too. <clears throat> right, he's a little expensive, but a little. <laughs> Yeah, he's a lot of expensive. Um, but getting Chain of Command on a guy who's you know essentially two wounds, uh, brings a Red Fury, solid BS, mimetism. Yeah, but, I mean, but you want to use him, though, right? So Chain of Command is right. kind of a, a, a difference there. I mean, like, so speaking as somebody who plays a lot of vanilla armies, um, other vanilla armies make sense to me. Right. I mean, I think I would argue that vanilla nomads are the strongest of all the four options for nomads. Um, Hawk is there's more of a more nuance there, right? Because the especially now with the stuff that you get in HB. Um, but the other vanilla factions like sort of click for me. There's there's a, there's a reason that I want to take them. There's unit combinations that make sense. There's synergies that are exposed um, that. Um, that I want to take that I can't get anywhere else. Uh, that's less true now that like, like using nomads as an example, often you would be like, okay, well I need MSV two and that isn't available in Tunguska say, but that's not true anymore. Right. So some caveats there. Um, but I've always struggled list building with vanilla Pano. Um, and I don't have a huge amount of experience in Pano cause I, I only really started uh, my journey through uh, Pano Xenia late, late in the N3 era. So I just, I just have less data, but I find it more difficult and I, I'm not really, I, I can't really put my finger on why. Um, well, how about we, uh, how about we take some words from the master here and put, put Michael on the spot. Hey, Michael, you want to help us uh, whip up a quick pano list for unmasking? God damn it, guys. I was, I was going to look to you guys as an opportunity <laughs> to learn because I, you know, I, I, no, f- full full disclosure. I've been playing Pano and its multitude of forms for what's it been now? S- seven or eight years. I've never, across multiple editions, found a vanilla Pano list that I've been happy with. Um, we yeah. can certainly, t- yeah, we can certainly take a crack at what you say on masking. We can certainly yeah, take a crack at that. That's um, requires some specialists, but not a not a lot of specialized specialists, which is a silly thing to say. So I mean, um, I, I'll 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 seed the discussion. Right with with some things that I think we should immediately consider, right? Just to sort of give us some talking points. Sure, just to get it moving sure. forward. Yeah. Sure. So I mean, like the first thing that I thought when I when I played unmasking is again, I really tend to favor null deployment and area denial like passively, right? I don't I don't want to lose any pieces, especially now that my order count is going to be lower. I can't really afford to piece trade, especially out of Pan O, especially because I lose the link bonus uh, of movement. Right, so I'm even less efficient, and I'm stuck in my deployment zone most of the time. And the other thing is that uh, unmasking is a is a unique scenario because it has an exclusion zone. So um, all of the benefits that other armies would get over Pano, like having excellent midfield infiltrators, is kind of gone because they they can't mm. deploy in the, the the exclusion zone. So I think I think that's sort of the great equalizer here, which is why I sort of picked it as the list building exercise for tonight. So. Um, in thinking about what would I want to do to protect my um, target, the designated think, target or whatever it's called, right? 
was like, I want some area denial. So I immediately said, well, two peacemakers is where I'm going to start. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think we've already talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> the the options would actually have been very, very potent. So if you had two peacemakers, two auxilia, and mm-hmm. the AVA2 shock army regulars with mines, mm. oh, yeah. that in and of itself... Ooh, um, you know, at, at 14 points a pop for both the auxilia and the mine layer, you are actually creating a wonderfully layered, overlapping uh, defense that can combat like a multitude of like incoming hostile game mechanics um, and does so at a fairly inexpensive point cost, right? So I think that as, as soon as we get auxilia and Akon regulars back, I, I I love it, uh, but yes, two peacemakers great great place to start. Mm-hmm. And with a with a the um, the uh, oh my god, I feel like you just said the name like five times. Um, the guys with the oxbots, auxilia, uh, the auxilia, like the guard. The you do get the one uh, order sergeant with um, with oxbot, which I think is base one point more maybe. I think it's I think it's three, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the the alternative still exists. I you know, auxilia auxilia BS eleven with twelve. Uh, that's know, right. Sergeants are 12. 12, 12 and thirteen. So, but yeah, they they do have the ox spot for seventeen. So that option exists, mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's not bad. You know, it's it's not bad because seventeen points is a little expensive, but it's not a terrible price to pay for an ox spot, which is frankly a superior backline defender right now. Yeah, so. I mean, you can still deploy four inches up, and that puts puts everything in range of your your templates and your repeater, which is why I sort of chose them as a starting point for this. Um, the other thing I thought about mm-hmm. is, especially for unmasking, you get that data tracker bonus. So if you go first, it often is more worthwhile to dump a whole bunch of orders and go murder their data tracker. Um, so right. the tool I chose for that, especially because. Um, the list I had in mind was uh, a 10 order list was like, I, I didn't want to muck around with combat jump because I cannot afford to miss it. Right. That's just not, that's not something I can do. And I really wanted to, to play with the echo Bravo. So that was sort of what I decided to do. Um, it's a, what a, um, to the medium. There it is. There you go. Echo Bravo. Boom. So I put in a, uh, the boarding shotgun light rocket launcher version. Cause I figured that will, will kill, kill a thing pretty good. That was that that's, was my that was my thought there. That's my favorite profile on there, I think. Um, yeah, like you said, it 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 does templates, it deletes things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though it is, even though there is the exclusion zone, there still is that four inch spot on either side of the enemy's deployment zone that if they're not effectively guarding, you can yeah, still get in from exactly. The, that's that that's where you come in. But then, of course, now you have the problem of what if they have an arrow piece watching that area. And so my answer to that was a bolt with a multi-sniper, uh, uh, multi-sniper rifle, right? So active turn, active turn, use the marksmanship bonus and hit basically anything that isn't mar- uh, uh, mimetism minus six on 16s. That seemed okay. Uh, the other yeah. option would be to throw yeah. Nalf in there, right? Nalf is also monstrous. You love your Nalf. Yeah, but I mean, like, I th- this is also like a list where I wanted to try new things, so. Uh, that's why there's a bolt instead of now. So okay, I don't know. That's 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 a a thought that I had. Um, okay, so now I feel like we have we have a plan here in that um, 
Echo Bravo to go murder their thing. Peacemakers to protect our thing, our our our, our uh, designated target. A bolt to clear the way. Right. So I'm I'm sort of um, doing something that's a little non-standard, which is I don't have like a big fancy BS15 or BS14 HMG right out of panel. Sure. So where's that? Yeah. So I I didn't include one. Um, and so the next my next thought was like, okay, well I need I need something to go actually go do the mission. Um, and so I picked. Um, a knight, which was the uh, Spitfire uh, lieutenant, specialist operative, mm-hmm. which does all the things, right? It doesn't hack, and un- uh, unmasking has that uh, burst two plus three whip if you're a hacker. But I, yeah. I also want something that won't die to Trinity, um, and sure. I can push around in the midfield. I mean, it is it is vulnerable, but. You know, this this zero swick Spitfire with the kit is really hard to ignore. It's zero swick. I just noticed that. Yeah, it's zero swick. Oh, yeah, pretty zero... pretty bonkers. Okay, that's a that's a one and that's a two point swick discount from how much a uh, a Spitfire used to cost. Yeah, I Man. think it was still one point five, but it's that's massive. Um, and then I also thought, well, I actually I would actually like to take advantage of the uh, the bonus. So um, I threw in a, uh, the Knight of Justice hacker, mostly because the mini is rad, and uh, right. Who you know, like I can just walk through your Trinity with with BTS nine, so that seemed good too, right? Yeah, I think that Knight of Justice, Knight of Justice hacker, um, I liked it previously, and exactly for what you mentioned, like Trinity against BTS nine is not. Uh, a guaranteed thing. Yeah, and and the other reason is because uh, I wanted to take advantage of the Peacemaker's repeater, right? And I'm much okay. happier about leaving a BTS-9 model out to ARU with Spotlight. So as you wander yeah, around... Hackers, yeah. I mean, the nice thing, too, is that the standard hacking device has now gotten a really, really excellent anti-hacker program in Oblivion. Because mm-hmm, not yep. only are you isolating the model in question to stop or stop or deter follow-up attempts, but shutting down their actual hacking device. I mean, you know, obviously, if you only isolate them, it doesn't do you a lot of good if they're still ARRing you. But disabling mm-hmm. their hacking devices is the kicker. Um, yep. And it gives standard hackers a really nice, potent anti-hacker tool. Yeah. So that's 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 a nice choice. Um, and then I was like, well, not enough guns, so throw in two Sierras. <laughs> oh, jeez. Might as well, right? So you now you're walking into a gun, a flamethrower, a heavy template, a heavy shotgun template, and hack if you like want to get near my stuff, right? Because you have the no, peacemaker I... and uh, Sierra watching my my HVTs or whatever. That seems good. I feel like the moment the Sierra shows up, you either want the Evo or the Rem Racer or both. Yeah. So what I decided to do instead was spend the points on a Carhu to keep everything running. Yeah, the guy engineer. Yeah, because I so I why? just love. I mean, I, it's, it's the nomad player in me, right? We could easily put down a, a machinist instead, but I mean, like, who doesn't want? I, this, I have to have him in here, right? So, so I, I'm just sort of building to what I ended up at, and then we can tweak. Um, okay. So, so anyway, yeah, Carhu. Obviously, you need a palbot for the Carhu because he needs to be next to both Sierras effectively. Um, and then, you know, we're sort of left with one slot left. And what I decided to do was throw in um, a Knight of Montessa's Red Fury. Jeez. So this is what I ended up it, with. It's funny because looking at 
yeah, this is what a 10 order list looks like in N4. That's yeah. that's like, like taking the taking the mission out of context entirely. That is a ton of beat stick. Um, it doesn't have very myth. much beat stick past 24, though. Because, I mean, like, I yes, the Sierras have HMGs, but they're only BS11. I don't have a Rem Racer. Um, I don't have an Evo to buff them. Um, and I, But the thing is, I don't really have the orders to do so in a 10-order list, I would argue. Right. Um, so there, there is something to be said for, like, yeah, I guess we could find a way to put a Rem Racer in here and get that BS buff. And that would also be a hacker to help spotlight stuff, which also is kind of a BS buff, if you think about it. Um <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, this is sort of what I arrived at. Maybe, and the other option is we could maybe take Defersen as your lieutenant because that's also an excellent all-in-one lieutenant that does all the things you would want for unmasking. Um, I think there's a lot of other options we could consider. This is just what I arrived at. Sort of. I mean, you're talking discussion. about just not having a lot of a lot of firepower. You, you're right. Outside of 24 inches, you only have two HMGs and a multi-sniper. <laughs> um, but. I think in terms of a temporal list, like that, that Montessa to me wants to be your data tracker. It's not a specialist. Oh, okay. Yeah, you want that specialist to, yeah, you want the extra order for doing the mission. I mean, but you don't need to be a specialist to go murder this stuff, right? Like button pushing is not yeah. all that big of a deal uh, for the, um, for the uh, data tracker. And I don't think the current version of unmasking grants an extra order, although I'm not sure. Like everything is just, up in the air now who knows what what real ITS missions are anymore so yeah and the 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 new season comes out next month anyway so who knows right. what'll happen between exactly now and then. yeah but i mean this is just sort of sort of i mean unmasking is notoriously uh taxing on your order pool because you have to go push the button guess wrong push another button guess wrong and all the while you're trying to like fight your way through aros and area coverage right so I, this, this, I, I think it's a pretty True. good litmus test for, for the order efficiency of a list. So my my question with your list would be, how do you plan on pushing the button? <laughs> like, you're, you're talking about it, it's going to take extra orders to get there. And you have a pretty restrictive list. Yeah, I mean, my, my game plan was to, because most of these things don't require orders. Right, I'm not really going to act like the engineer is just there as a as a uh, emergency button on turn three if things have gone really poorly. I don't want to be like running a machinist across the field, right? I want something mm-hmm. that can actually do things. Uh, so that seemed like a reasonable compromise to spend a few extra points on a, on a quality engineer with a real gun and like the ability to do things. Um, and you know, I'm basically relying heavily on the on the two knights to do all the button pushing. Um, so I figure I just throw the Knight of Justice under the bus and uh, in one turn try to blitz all three. So I, my game plan for this is uh, if I go first, I drop the Echo Bravo in after I clear the way with either the Sierra or the Bolt, right? And I hope you don't leave a million things out. If you do and I lose the Bolt, then I'm, I'm immediately on the back foot. I don't have a lot of redundancy here, right? So I, this list definitely requires playtesting and tuning. And I probably will do things like swap uh, Sierra out for maybe a Bulleteer. Right, that would be a reasonable change uh, as as in another attack piece. Or I could go, I could drop some other stuff and shuff, shift some stuff around, drop the Knight of Montessa, and put in something bigger like an Aquila, right? Or even a um, a Swiss by making mm-hmm. points from somewhere else. 
And like, but I think the fact that we're having discussions says a lot about the changes because I can just say that and say like, well, we have the SWIC to make those kinds of decisions, which is a, it's just a big deal um, coming from, from, uh, from N3, like the free SWIC Spitfire is pretty bonkers. So yeah, again, the turn one is go murder your data tracker and I'll blow my whole turn doing that because I feel like that's better for me. I put you on the back foot because that was probably a pretty key part of your plan. Um, I probably select either the Knight of Montessa as my data tracker or um, the Knight of Justice. And um, then on on my second turn, I go hit all the buttons, just like run something into the midfield. Hopefully things are dead there or have sort of burned themselves out against my AROs and my board presence. I swipe across the middle, grab as many antennas as I can. And then on turn three, I go murder your thing. Hopefully with my data tracker still alive. And that's an argument for the Knight of Montessa to be the data tracker because you just leave it in the backfield. It has the movement to go murder the other guy's thing. Um, I don't know. This is this is this is just sort of me spitballing because I was my game plan was to play this list against a competing panel list uh, yesterday evening, but I ran out of time because uh, I was prepping for class, so couldn't in good in uh, uh, good conscience try to like not prepare for class and play a game instead. So right. So I ended, I ended up just destroying this together and, and bring it to tonight for discussion. It's. You know, it's not what I would, was, would expect out of a panel list and then three, for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, that comes definitely partially just because you are the author of the list, and therefore it is different. <laughs> yes, that's true. I tend to do um, strange things. But, so it's interesting, because like, I, I feel like you know you, you want to sprint turn one to to try to win the mission, right? For... Um, for unmasking, but I actually feel like you, this this list in general might actually develop the table really well. Mm-hmm. Getting those peacemakers up the table into really clutch positions, making sure the Sierra are, abs- are locking down as much as possible. Like you are really just making it hard for your opponent to get anything done. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically trying to do two things with the list in terms of just like having stuff on the table. One is make it a pain in the butt for my opponent, and also protect my data tracker. Because I don't want them to do what I'm going to do to them, right? Uh, I, I think probably the Echo Bravo is not reliable enough. I might need to consider some other some other attack piece that's more reliable and replace it. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this definitely requires some tuning, but this is what I sort of arrived at. Because um, cause I, I, initially, I initially started this list with like two Peacemakers and then two... Um, to mine layers so I'm like like the I think I had the mm-hmm. knock-in in there but then I, I remembered about the exclusion zone and it wasn't really worthwhile right because you lose the um, sure for deployment so yeah I don't know I mean it's, it's, it's a I, I think there's a lot of options here um, but there, I think there it's funny you wrote this list answer. for talking to Michael tonight about how good peacemakers are <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 well I mean I, I think you hey, and I have, you know you you had it on your radar, you know. I was not the one who brought peacemakers up. I responded to the point by right. by verifying and validating that I think they're really, really good. Um, but that that was already on your guys's radar. Um, I, I, one point that I'll make with regard to the Echo Bravo too, and I, I love the Echo Bravo. I have like a personal connection to that unit, uh, but it's very, very hard to make it relevant in exclusion zone missions when you have to walk on at least. Uh, 
you know, for, for troops, a lot of units in N3, you know, unless you had parachutists or exclusively airborne infiltration, at least you could choose between dropping in mm-hmm. versus walking on. But the Echo Bravo, as lean and mean as it is, has only ever been able to walk on. And depending on certain scenarios, there may not be a lot of <clears throat> perimeter on the table where you can actually legally enter play. And that becomes super challenging and even more so when um, you're playing with exclusion zone or power pack specialty, whatever, um, yeah, you know, whatever you're, it can, it can be a real challenge. And I've had plenty of games where I brought an Echo Bravo and had no legal place I could bring them on besides my own deployment zone because the, the opponent locks the table edges anticipating an, an Echo Bravo. Um, and you can't even threaten the opponent with the possibility of air dropping in. Well, I guess I guess maybe we'll we'll turn the question around then and say like if the goal in Pano with all the tools available to Pano, you know, and I I, I wanted to accomplish one singular objective, which is go scalpel out one unit on the uh, on the enemy side of the table. What would you choose? I, I I myself would probably choose a different game plan because Pano, for all of its strengths, is actually I find they're really really bad at going and getting things done. Like for example, that's Varuna's biggest weakness. People think Varuna's a powerhouse, but the second you ask Varuna to go anywhere and do something, um, mm-hmm. they're incapable of doing it because they're so defensively oriented. Mm-hmm. But I think I think you're onto something that's pretty effective here with the with the knights. I think that the knights um, have a good tool. I think the knight of Montessa is an underappreciated unit whose stock has gone up in N4. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think that there's something that's good there, particularly since you can always dismount him if you need something that's a little, you know, that can climb a building or get up in a room or whatever it is that you need the, the sure. tactical situation to be adapted to. Um, you know, you could even, it, it doesn't have as, I guess, sexy of a kit as the Echo Bravo, but it might even be worth just taking it a call. Yeah. Yeah. 23 points, has the option for airborne deployment, is bringing a BS 13 boarding shotgun wherever you want it. If you mm-hmm. fail, you know, it's only Fizz 11, so there's a, a fair chance that you fail. But if you fail, you've got a combi rifle or a boarding shotgun on your side of the table. It's sad that call losses emitter. And I know. Is, uh, I was so yeah, upset about that. Nice. One, one more casualty of, of the N4 transition, you know, a lot of units with em that were really well poised to do damage in this edition lost lost their em weaponry um i was very disappointed by so be it yeah i was extremely depressing (laughs) yeah i need that so bad let's see i mean or if you're thinking of another unit that could that could boost up your own defense like ada swanson um well i mean it's always an interesting choice if we're going to take the a call and it's so integral to the plan it might be worth making room for for the evo but i don't know if it's integral right like if you were if you were spending orders on a call to assassinate one thing mm-hmm. then you've spent the order to drop it you've spent the order to give it um to give it the uh, the assisted drop mm-hmm. and then how many orders to kill something and then what does that leave you to accomplish the mission during that turn sure the thing that's tough too is that in this edition, anything that's worth slapping data tracker on is likely to to resist combi rifle. Even good combi rifle is likely to be highly resilient to like those kinds of small arms. And unfortunately, there's a pretty direct correlation between stuff that's fast also being sort of light and mediocre in a gunfight. And that's not a one-to-one correlation, but it is sort of a general trend. Um, 
I mean, boarding so shotguns are still AP, though, tough. right? Yes, yes, they're, they're still AP. I just don't have a lot of faith in you know, even if you're burst two on nineteens. Um, I've rolled two somebody shooting before. back with their pistol. Yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. Somebody shooting back. That's the problem is that eight inches is the zone of death. Everybody, almost everyone has a pistol. Right. The pistol is shooting back plus three. So, you know, burst two versus burst one, the odds are not necessarily super decisive, even with the plus six, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to think about. One thing I'm thinking about as far as your ability to go in and get something done, um, taking the list in a slightly different direction. The Yodum is BTS-9. True. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously it's pretty <laughs> quick at 6-4. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 not out of the question. Yeah, um, no. Got to watch mean, out for, uh, yeah, got to watch out for a lot of those hacking programs that have the have the BTS or whatever, but um, right. it's pretty tough. Tough in more than one way. B-5-0-5, like, that, that guy gets stuff done. Yes. Um, Another another thing to think about possibly would be the the bolt. Uh-huh. <clears throat> You've taken the MSV one, you know, the MSV one sniper, which is nice. Um, I would actually almost consider the hexa as an alternative, and the reason why is if they have warbands, a hexa will still give them a hard time. Not as hard as the as the uh, the bolt, but. It can still give them something difficult to advance through that is also difficult to dig out because of the TO. It also gives you the flexibility of um, if they don't have a lot of warbands, you can use it to cover the advance of where you think their data tracker will go. Sure. I mean, I mean, let's be let's be honest though. Like, if I'm going to take a different MSR, it's going to be now. <laughs> I mean, if you just look at just I think the cost, the... right. I think the stock of hidden deployment, I mean, hidden deployment AROs were always good. I think they're really good in N4. Um, yeah. So I, I totally get where you're coming from, Adam, you know, with, with that perspective. I think that a, a mediocre threat that your opponent walks right into can ha- can be much more decisive than a highly elite and skilled threat who your opponent sees right at deployment. Um, right. But... But you know, I, I think you can easily make make the argument any which way. You know, I think that the the multi snipers are tough in the sense that they're you know the burst is low. I tend to like them more for ARO rather than active turn purposes, and for that reason, I favor the hidden deployment one rather than the visible one because right. you tend to maximize your odds that way. Well, but, you thought um, that Nauf has a burst three multi sniper. Yeah, I mean that's 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 a big deal. You know, I'm also I'm also not a not a great vanilla player, so I'm I'm learning a lot through virtue of this discussion. Yeah, right. I mean now now is monstrous. I mean that that burst three at that range, right? Because already you're generally shooting at stuff that doesn't want to play at that range band, and you're stacking mimetism on top of that, and now another burst. Like just the experience of walking into view of a of a Q drone against my last game uh, against out of my last game, I was like, "Go away, Q drone! One order, it's gone." Yeah, that that yeah. was just I was like, "How did?" It's it's a totally different game now. <laughs> just shoot, get out of here. And ordinarily, that would have been a a pretty hard stop for at least like two three orders. Right. And I, it's a real risk for my from for for my uh, burst two gun, right? But yeah, it's uh, completely mind blowing for me. I think burst course. burst three is the magic number, right? I yeah. think you know burst mm-hmm. three is where you start getting really comfortable with active turn face to face odds. Um, 
so yeah, I I, th- I think that's great. You know, I I want to I want to find an excuse to use them, find a faction I can use them in because I like what they've done with his rules, and I hope that they'll replicate that more across more sniper characters because we know that CB's got something of a fetish for sniper characters. Yeah, they they really do. <laughs> they really do. They really I, do. I haven't figured out why, but yeah, and they still haven't like hit any cheesy like enemy at the gate references for. Uh... Yeah, when's that going yeah. I mean, but, but, yeah, Vasily is a character, isn't he? So. That's right, that's right. Like, as I'm saying that, I'm realizing this. So, yeah, no, I think that there's actually, like, I. Th- what's interesting is that I feel like Vanilla Pano is a valid discussion now. And so much before, it was just, like, lean heavily on the sectorals um, and don't worry about the extended the extended catalog of, of options because it's just every sectoral is which, you know, in which way do you want to punch the opponent in the face better. Mm-hmm. But now with a lot of these more interesting, more dynamic profiles added uh, across the board, and, you know, we'll see more once um, ASA and um, NCA get their uh, additions as well. Like there's might be a real case for, for vanilla Pano. Yeah. It might yeah. not be a mistake to run Pano. Bringing things full circle, huh? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh my goodness! <clears throat> well, guys, I think uh, I think that should wrap up our our Prano discussion. I think that we we really drove it into the ground, but there's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff here in the army that it is often considered the least interesting, right? Like I think unfairly. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of interest, uh, interesting combinations you can do, and I think a lot of it is just um, just like the conversation we had about uh, Hexa versus now versus the Bolt, right? There's a lot of nuance right. to it there, and it's it's not as as flashy as you know like Morans out of Nomads or something where you're just like oh my god this is like amazing we have to take one, uh, but there's a lot of a lot of really interesting questions to be asked and answered out of Pano. Yeah, it's it's fun. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, maybe Michael digs into, looking a little bit more at the options for Vanilla. Um, yeah, I've, I've you know I've got a got a some podcast content coming out next week actually, which is doing a pretty significant deep dive. You know, similar format to what we discussed tonight, but there's there's a lot to explore. There's a ton to explore. You know, obviously the great thing about N4 is that the the landscape has been reset, regardless of your experience, your perspective on the game, mm-hmm. units you loved, units you hated, armies you played. Uh, everything is reset to zero, and we're all learning something afresh. Um, so it's a good time to be playing and also a good time to be producing content, sharing content, sharing opinions, because it's all valid. Nothing's wrong. There is no established knowledge. Excellent. So, well, yeah, why don't we uh, why don't we do something that we do at the beginning of every month, starting last month? So, you know, the whole second time. Um, but, you know, now that we've uh, we've met our Patreon goal, we have a giveaway to get to. So, John. Do you want to bring up the one, the only, the amazing Wheel of Names? Wheel of Names! <laughs> <laughs> Give that a whirl and see right, which one of our GT1 spin! Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be? Oh! Uh, uh. oh. Eric H! Here we are. He's our winner for the month, so he's gonna receive a prize. For uh, for supporting us on Patreon, he'll have his choice of miniature from 
Obadiah Hampton himself. Ooh. Of course, we've got the yep, we've got the the drunk Yanyan or the drunk Monstrucker to pick from, um, or maybe hold out and see what Obi's next creation is. So we'll be reaching out to you uh, via email, Eric, and thank you very much for your support. But thanks to all of our patients think, for for their support. Yeah, of course, of course, all of them. Um, but yeah, I think it's that time. You've all wasted another perfectly good evening listening to late night war games. John, take it away. Yep. So just a reminder, this month's Berman Academy mission is to play N4 and tell us about it. And uh, if you are in the painting mood this quarter, so through the end of December, uh, we'll be accepting painting submissions for any model with a stealth rule. Um, so yeah, that's the thing. Uh, send that into uh, report at BroadbandAcademy.com for chances to win prizes. Um, prizes, you'll, prizes, yep, prizes. You'll find us here uh, on Twitch at 8.30 p.m. Pacific on Tuesdays. Um, we upload the footage to YouTube and also uh, the audio to uh, Anchor.fm, which arrives on all of your favorite podcast apps, so you can catch us however you'd like to. Um, and we have a feature called Podcast Chapters where we show what we're looking at on the screen, more or less, so you, you don't, you're not missing out as much as uh, you might otherwise be if we didn't have the feature. So hopefully that helps folks who don't have time to sit through the whole YouTube thing but want to listen to us while you're painting or in the car or something. Um, if you if you are, uh, like what we do, feel free to uh, support us on Patreon at uh, The Dice Abide. And, of course, thank you to our sponsor, uh, Brutal Cities. Mike, you got anything you want to plug? Uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, I'll be in a podcast episode coming up, a white noise episode, I think 155 coming out next week. Uh, more discussion of Pano as well as a, a big installment of listener questions. So okay. it'll be nice to be able to connect with the community on that questions that people want to know. Uh, tackled that this past weekend, the episode will be going live. So, uh, have a listen if you're curious about the boys in blue and N4. Always more to learn from the great mind of Michael. Goodness, goodness, <laughs> goodness. Ple- pleasure to see you both, too. It's been yeah, too likewise. long with, uh, with, with everything good, that's yeah. going on. But glad to sit down, have a drink, and connect. Adapticon 2021, please. Fingers crossed. If it happens. Yep. Sounds good. All right, guys. Yeah, be sure to catch us on Facebook, YouTube, anywhere you get your podcast apps. If you like the show, give us the five-star rating, high fives, thumbs, likes, hearts, emojis, whatever appropriate thing on there's the a, platform. There's a bell involved. Click the bell somewhere. Yeah, click the bell. I like bells. Um, subscribe to us on all the things. Uh, it all really just goes a long way to help us know, hey, what content you like, but also uh, financially to bring you the best podcast that we possibly can. So thanks again, and uh, good night. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Stay safe out there.